Welcome to the DN Buffcast. Woo, it's been a while. Yeah, I was going to say, this is our first episode. Welcome Welcome to our first episode (laughs) of the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Moby. And I'm Leland Steele. (laughs) Yeah. um, Man, I wonder if Listener is even still here. Because, so to recap, (laughs) if you're joining the show somehow now, we did a special episode with uh, Ghost Marty. In fact, we did two in the same week. Right. The seance took a lot out of us, man. It took a lot out of us. It was tough. It was a lot of like mental and physical energy that just sapped out of our bodies. Right. Which is just like how we felt hanging out with him when he was alive. Very true. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was very apt. Yes. But I mean, the second episode was like reviewing the decade. So It was a long fucking episode. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we talked about it and it felt like, okay, well... You know, recording a week after that and dropping something January 15th that's, you know, like, hey, the history of golf. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It was just seemed anticlimactic without a little bit of a break, I felt, after sure. those two episodes. I, so. yeah, I get what you're saying. And I totally agree. You know, it was worked out. But it gave us a chance to get into our new studio. Yes. I want to congratulate you on that. I'm quite happy with it. I think it, it's, it's, I like it. It's pretty cool in here. Yeah. I mean, I've. You know, I have other projects that I've been recording here for for like about a month or so, and yeah, um, I'm, I dig it. Yeah, no, it's it's excellent. So, listener, you can't really see it, but um, Leland had a small we don't know what room. It seems too <laughs> small to be a bedroom, but it used to be stuffed with board games and dead bodies, and he, yeah. he decided to clean them out, install sound sound. Yeah, barriers. wall. Well, I made some wall panel thing and majiggers to reduce room echo and i feel like there's more space between you and i though because yeah in when we were in the living room the the arms of the mic stands were was it were in between us yes or at least mine was so every time i would look over to my left there was a stupid mic arm in my way but now you're on my right and there's nothing no i could reach out and touch you <laughs> which you know I won't. Or, or punch me <laughs> or punch you, during yeah. condescending controversy <laughs> if we actually one day become condescending with condescending controversy yeah what was uh how, what was um oh was what did jess call it i don't know it was probably like a delightful tea or something <laughs> yes, like that it like was that. something along those lines and so um yeah it, it it's cool I, I i love it we had issues with not not so much privacy in your living room, but like people were constantly walking by with yeah. animals and kids. Yeah, because um, yeah, because I got a big like one. It's basically like a whole wall is a window at the end of yeah. my apartment too. Yeah, it's it's quite it stays quite warm in here. Funny if I'm in here for a few hours with like you know the the, the monitor and the laptop running, and I step out of the room it's like 10 degrees colder in my apartment because i'm too cheap to put on the heat so i never have the heat on so oh man it's gonna be warm in here and come summer i think it's gonna be very really warm we'll like (laughs) rig up fans or give each other we'll we'll have to get some some like silent fans and stuff something like that that'll be uh, but that I i was thinking that i was just hearkening back to the the first few episodes, like when we started that, yeah, su- that summer was sweltering. That summer was hot, and I think our first episode was like early July. Like I think we started, July. yeah, end of July, sometime in July, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was like consecutive burning hot for three episodes. Yeah. Ridiculous. It was, <laughs> you know, 
sweating, leaving her stains and sweat. But no, this this looks awesome. You've even got some art hung up, um, much straighter than any picture I've ever hung. So yep. <laughs> kudos to that, and and we'll we'll be here. And uh, actually, I like this. I I like being able to see the show notes here. Oh yeah, it's sweet. Uh, I got a nice monitor arm too, so That's it's great. up and out of my way. It was actually annoying before because the laptop would get, would block the lower half of the screen. How right. we were having it before. Right. Now that that looks great. So, yeah, listener, new new digs. But yeah, want to jump into banter? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're well prepared. So, why change now? Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I told I literally told you for one of the two segments that all you have to do is react. I told you, you to yep, plan you to just you react. Did. And I heard all you have to do is react. Yes. That and was all I heard. That's all you heard. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Woo. Hard work today. Um, okay. Well, we're recording this uh, a couple days after the Oscars. And the first thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, Joaquin Phoenix uh, wins Best Actor Oscar. I believe, and I'm 99% sure of this, he is the first actor playing a comic book character to win the full-on grand best actor. And Okay. And Interesting. That I, I think it's a big deal for cinema. It was kind of overshadowed because Parasite, uh, which won Best Picture, is the first ever foreign film to win Best right, Picture. Right. And I think Hollywood just kind of latched onto that more. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Joaquin was almost expected to win, even though it was a big deal Interesting. for me as a comic book fan. That's uh Mm, that's a that is interesting i don't know i just like again to me like joker is less of a superhero film and more along a psychological thriller more than anything. of a mentally ill man sure Who's... sure i don't know well will we see more i don't think we'll see more unless we get more like like film house versions of superheroes like joker is you know what i mean like yeah like more like like film festival you know kind of was what i think of when i think of yes joker de- definitely yeah definitely art house as they thank like you that's it. the what that's the term i was art, looking for art, art house you know it ain't no mortal combat <laughs> yeah right so um, I, I wonder if we'll see more in the future yeah you think, i, you I think do more too. more directors and more studios i should say more the director more studios will be like hey we can make movies like this from differing source materials that we wouldn't normally make a movie like this based off of that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, I think there's a good chance of that now that I think about it. It's not something I thought of before. I am happy just on a general level that Joaquin Phoenix finally won a Best Actor. I really like him. I like a lot of stuff he's been in. He's been nominated several times. So I thought that was great. I like Deakins, Roger Deakins, who won... um, Best Cinematography again. He won two years ago for Blade Runner 2049. But the guy was nominated like 16 times before he won. Whoa. He needs to catch up. That kind of segues into my second point of banter, which is, have you heard the Birds of Prey bombed? Oh, like box office bombs? Box office bombs. Oh, I did not hear that. Yeah. They're saying estimated $33 million. It brought in opening weekend. Um, Ooh. And they're saying like it's basically guaranteed now not to make money. They tried Whoa. to, like, it's going to lose big. They <laughs> wow. basically said it needs to make triple its budget, which I think is somewhere in the $300 million range for it. It might be a little bit more. Holy shit. Unfortunately, it's the usual things you hear when a movie 
written, produced, and starring all females bombs. You can probably guess what a lot of the headlines are, which is, you know, toxic men didn't want to see this movie. Interesting. Men men screwed over Birds of Prey. I just, uh, you know, I want to get your feelings on Birds of Prey, period, because it, it almost seemed like like the movie had passed you by, it how you were Yeah, I had no idea it came out already. I didn't. I had no idea when it was going to be released. I hadn't watched any trailer for it. You know, it was like a thing like floating around in the back of my head like, yeah, this is going to exist sometime, but no idea when. You know, there's a Dutch guy named Andre. He runs um, runs a YouTube channel called Midnight's Edge. And okay. he said it best. He, I was running. I, I need to run. And uh, uh, he, he went live, which he does occasionally. He went live on Birds of Prey. And he said, look, the premise of everything I talk about today is that Birds of Prey is a movie nobody asked for and nobody needed. <laughs> it's like right he said it's like almost as if someone wanted to make up for suicide squad not being as you know good as people wanted it to be and it was right. kind of a mess but nobody asked them to apologize and make up for it it's like <laughs> someone does you a little bit wrong but you don't care because you move on the next day and it's like yeah i'm sorry and you're like okay hey, whatever and it's like, you know, they come back three months later and like, I'm sorry, I've baked you this giant cake. And you're like, I mean, okay, I, I never asked for this cake, though. Like, dude, I just forgot about it. Yeah. And so this guy, again, his theory was that just nobody wanted Birds of Prey in the first place. It's not any even more complicated than that. That's interesting. That completely makes sense to me. I don't care about the Birds of Prey source material. <laughs> no. At all. And Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn would be the only reason I'd want to see it. Right. Like, and it, apparently to its credit to why I may see it on streaming, um, it is a Margot Robbie film basically with a few others thrown in, thrown, you know, at the end. It's got, it's got Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So that's kind of like a, you know, do yeah, I want to see this? True. Do I want to see her as a superhero? I, I do like her. Yeah. No Joker. No uh, Jared Leto Joker. Okay. He was passed out uh, naked except for a house coat, bloated on pizza, crying as he watched Joaquin win the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I imagined him. He's like, two years ago I was this character. Yeah, what and now went you have wrong? Joaquin in front of the whole world talking about how evil it is to artificially inseminate cows, which is what he is actually what did he in his speech. He's like, and he's almost crying. He's like, and you take sperm and you put it into a female cow and you artificially inseminate her. I was like, what? I'm like, okay. What? It was the weirdest thing. What? That's why I brought it up. He brought up a lot of, you know, weird stuff in that speech. Okay? But that was a weird thing. His speech <laughs> I thought was very selfish. He didn't actually really thank anyone. I think he thanked his dead brother. Okay. Her. But that was it. He didn't thank anyone else, you know, like Todd Phillips, the director of the movie. God forbid the guy that got you your Oscar. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, last thing I was going to ask you quickly <laughs> here. I I think I asked you this on Facebook, but I, I'm not sure. Are you watching Picard? No. No. no, no. I, I mean, how, are, how are you watching it? Um, I did splurge for Crave uh, just oh, because okay. I wanted to see it so bad. Okay. Um, I tried to actually get it through CVS using my VPN mm -hmm. to appear as American. It doesn't work. Really? Um, yeah, some like rich websites, like big entertainment companies are starting to have VPN detectors, which makes a VPN oh, worth a little less. Right. 
Um, I ended up having to spend hundreds of dollars on these sports documentary DVDs I really wanted because I thought I could VPN into ESPN USA because they don't let you get it in Canada. And they said, no, we detect your VPN. Because of the broadcasting shit? Like the same thing, same reason that Canadian Netflix is abysmal compared to US Netflix? Yes, it's that. Hmm. Um, Also Amazon. Amazon Prime flags your VPN now. Which oh, is annoying really? because I'll run it a lot of the times and, you know, I'll go back to Unsolved Mysteries because I watch like an episode of that a day and I'll be like, it, it'll like stop and it'll freeze and I'll be like, you must disable your VPN. I'm just like, oh. Oh. I'm like, I pay for Amazon Prime. Who cares that? I? But like, I mean, like VPNs are for like online security. They're not like, f- they weren't created to spoof streaming services are like like, that's crazy yeah it it is crazy it's crazy that they've invested in that technology yeah Um, but is it is that is it really a pro is that really a problem i don't understand i don't understand i don't understand okay like if if an american company investing in that tech to prevent canadians from viewing their american product yeah I don't understand what the fucking problem is. I don't either because you know what? That Canadian is still paying for it. They're still paying for right. the service. Exactly. So I why are you spending all this money to block them? It's almost like a case like, okay, it's probably started with government regulation sure. or something. But it's like, see no evil, hear no evil, right? It's like, well, uh, I, you know, it's illegal or whatever if the customer does that. I don't know. We're a big company. But it's like, why uh, proactively yeah. go against? against the consumer yeah, i wonder if they get some type of incentive from government <sighs> i wonder which, too. which doesn't make it still doesn't make any sense to me but did you hear sorry to, to, inter- no, I, yeah, no, to go, interrupt go your picard i'm talk. glad that you're actually did you, contributing did you hear um the shit about the the canadian broadcasting thing how they're trying to stronghold netflix and stuff and other streaming services and the product in which they develop and what shows up on Canadian dashboards and what is recommended to Canadians? Ooh, I think I've heard rumors of this. The government trying to make more Canadian content. Yes. Yeah. And trying to make it mandatory for companies like, like Netflix to basically re- rewrite how their algor- algorithms work. So they show <sighs> That's Canadians bullshit. more Canadian product. That's bullshit. It is bullshit. It is a free market. It's if insane. I wanted to watch Canadian shows, I would watch them. Don't force them down my throat. Most of them are crap. I know there's some people that like Shit's Creek and Letter Kenny and stuff like that. I'm never gonna watch it, no matter how much Shit's Creek's pretty funny. I've never watched Letter Kenny. I everybody loves Shit's Creek in the last few years. I know, I know. And I mean, like, okay, Eugene and Dan Levy, they're funny guys. But guess what? That's not on Netflix anymore, right? Like, yeah, because yeah. of there's that stupid the, the what network whatever network's own streaming services is it's on now, right? Yes. So, oh my goodness, <laughs> like fuck <laughs> at, at how do you watch anything I, I don't know i don't know at some point we have to do like a streaming thing where i break down all the streaming services available how much it would cost if you were to get them if you wanted all. to have everything yeah is it gonna get to the point where especially with these different television networks making their own streaming services it's gonna get to the point where going back to cable makes the most sense to get the most Oh my goodness, that is so true. We're going to come We're full, gonna circle. Go full circle. Yeah, and it's going to be like, yeah, you're, there's going to be a lot of streaming service original content you're not going to get, but there will be more 
from these other branch smaller networks that you will be able to get in one place just with regular oh my cable. Goodness, that is so <laughs> mind bending and also true. Ugh. But it's so true because it's becoming yeah. so bloated. You're basically paying, you know, whatever, between nine and fourteen dollars a month for a bunch of premium channels right, right. now. Yeah. That's all it is. Like yeah. how do you how do you I don't know how you choose. Well, for me, I can tell you it's like musical chairs, meaning I can't afford them all. So it's like, okay, well, I can do Picard now. I, I've canceled my Netflix, by the way, oh, because yeah. I'm not watching a lot of it right now. And with so much else that I'm paying for, I can't pay for it all. So then I'm going to cancel, you know, Disney Plus in the very near future because I'm done with Mandalorian. And I'm surprised you still have. Disney it's more Plus. laziness, to okay, be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's more laziness. <laughs> I should. Care. That's how they get you. That's what those companies rely on. That's they exactly rely on it. those type of people that, oh, okay, you know, it comes up once a month and then they forget it and it's like, well, I have it for another month. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to count, right? Like, no, I got to, I got to get on that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, interesting how that's happening. But Disney Plus sucks. So <laughs> it does. It really does. And until all of their Marvel's TV stuff starts dropping, it's going to continue to suck yeah. for for a consumer like myself. I don't give a fuck about any Disney. I don't care about any of their old cartoons or any of those movies. Like I've already seen those movies, so I'm not I'm not gonna watch those movies no. again. I can't turn on Disney Plus and browse like you can with Netflix. That's basically the the clincher for me. Yeah. Because if I don't know what I wanna watch, then Netflix is the choice. But if I know I wanna watch something specific and it's on Disney, then obviously that's gonna be the place to go. But you can say the same about every other streaming service that has their own exclusives. Yeah. If I know I want to watch a specific show, if I want to watch Watchmen television series, like I know I got to go to HBO or whatever the fuck it is, right? Like, Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to dive too deep into it, but I think an issue with a bunch of the more recent streaming services, your Disney Plus, well, even Crave now, they kind of have this one tentpole series even amazon prime like if amazon prime was separate from am you know amazon prime like my grocery stuff yeah i wouldn't have it because nobody boys would. is done nobody would no <laughs> That's the now thing, right? now okay so but it's a good example of a streaming service that has one tent pole i really love i i love the boys okay but without the boys i would have canceled that but these streaming services are not sustainable they run one flagship show and then you're left with nothing and you either cancel for like six months or you're one of those people that are just are lazy and don't cancel. Right. Hey, well, and, and that, but or you get what happened with Netflix originals. They were so gung ho to pump out so many of them so quickly to keep up. The quality plummets. Exactly. And it just fucking explodes. Yeah. You know, and ruins an entire city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... Well, what else does Amazon have for originals? So, like, they have, like, the Man in High Castle, High Castle, right? A lot of They've people like that. They've got the Expanse, which I like, okay. but I've fallen out of. Okay. Just, like, not that I hate it. I just... There's so much to things pulling at my attention. The Expanse wasn't good enough to hold my attention long term. Interesting. I mean, as I've, I've said on the podcast before, that I, I no longer have any streaming service of any kind. But I have recently been thinking of getting Shudder. Which oh. is, which is uh for those unfamiliar listeners, it's it's a horror movie specifically yes. horror movie and like thriller streaming service four ninety nine a month. That's okay, a, that's so a good price. one of the lowest prices. Yeah, yeah, that's a good price. And I've I've really been into um what's the name of that channel Dead Meat cha YouTube channel where they do 
Uh, the kill guy counts. does the kill count. Oh, yeah, those, those kill counts. Good. Love those kill counts. Love them. I've just been like spamming, like binging all of them. And it just makes me want to watch a bunch of horror movies. Like, I want this service so badly. Yeah, well, like, I've rented movies off YouTube, but it's like six bucks. So basically, if you get that service and you watch one movie a month, yeah, you basically paid for it. I know. And that's a stupid thing. Like, after watching these kill counts, I'm like, I, I want to watch that movie. And then I literally, I rent, I rent them yeah. off YouTube. And I've already paid for, like, four months of shutter that i could be i could have had <laughs> it's like fuck <laughs> yeah let's get shutter shutter's butter it's so butter. maybe my next uh next episode i'll have talked about i'll be able to talk about shutter and how yeah, much and it, then you can prepare yeah, a banter next yeah. episode that'd be nice <laughs> <laughs> that'd be nice well speaking of you not preparing and responding to everything should we jump into our first let's segment? do it yeah so it's time for movie musings this one is in the year 2000. It, old Conan O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's actually in the year 2020. So what I wanted to do, I went through all the movies that are coming out this year. Okay. And I picked 10 that I thought were notable enough that people who would listen to the show or us may see at some point or, or maybe notable to discuss. And so I wanted to run them by you. Okay. Um, and just get your reaction, what you maybe think about it, think about the idea of it, and we'll see what happens. Now, the list I've compiled, actually, a lot of this comes from IMDb. They had a great list, which went from what they feel will be the most culturally and financially impactful movies of 2020 okay. on down. So we're actually going to start at the top and move down. The most the, 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 the number one predicted most culturally and financially successful said, Successful, movie. okay. Do, what exactly do they mean, like, culturally successful? Well, like it's... it just becomes, like, a, a zeitgeist for people? Like, it gets a Yeah, but or? word of mouth that they think is going to be, um, you know, have legs. It, it actually really ties back into the financial, that they think it's, you know, going to be something that's popular all around the world, not just domestic. Okay. That factors in something that has a lot of buzz currently going into it. Okay. That they feel. Um, and at number one, I mean, some of these are surprising, but I think number one is the most surprising. Godzilla versus King Kong or Godzilla really? versus Kong. Yeah. It's predicted to like smash globally. Wow. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. They're thinking like minimum so, 730 million. Um, did you do? You, I mean, I don't know how well Kong Island or whatever it was called and uh, King of Monsters, the last Godzilla movie. Like, I never saw the last Godzilla movie. No, me neither. Um, I don't know how well those movies, they must have done well. Those movies must have performed really well. They must have if they're doing another one so soon. And I don't think. Well, shit, they've been building for this movie since like, since that Kong movie. I think. Right. Or I guess actually probably since the rebooted Godzilla series, right? As well. Yeah. yeah starting to bring them together. <laughs> Absolutely. Is this like Monsters Avengers? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're going to have these two franchises. Maybe, you know, maybe that's just the simple trick of why they think it's going to be so successful the other movies did well you bring them together yeah maybe um but yeah i just found it surprising do you think i don't know where you stand do you think that's a movie you would prioritize seeing in theaters or no 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 but i mean that's i don't know if that's really saying much uh i'm very interested to see if any of these 10 i would want to go and make an effort to go see in the theater i think 
that would be a really good theater experience movie. Yeah. But it also depends how well it's shot. I don't know. Well, there's there's two on this list that I'm guaranteed to see in theaters. But as I say that, once I get through all ten, if you keep them in mind, you'll be like, only two? Okay. Because I think we're going to come by some that... Uh, so how many of these ten are we going to review? <laughs> Uh, well, there's, there's one for sure I want to review. And when we hit it, I'll tell you, I mean, okay. there's no point in keeping a secret, but, uh, yeah, there's one I want to review. Are you excited about Godzilla vs. King Kong? No, not at okay. all. Not did at you, all. did you see the, the Kong Island or whatever? I have not. No. It was okay. I, I liked it. Really? Um, it had Samuel Jackson being an over, like an over emphatic character and not much of a character not, i mean none of the characters were really characters i mean <laughs> right they're just there to introduce king kong right to get to an island to introduce king kong yeah you know i've only seen i think i've only seen one of all like the kongs or godzillas in the theaters i think it was like two godzillas ago what well, the godzilla where like he was like a good guy and he followed the navy around i think i saw that with you and marty <laughs> Uh, uh, I I just remember him sw- Godzilla swimming by an aircraft carrier in like formation. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Anyways, that's the only one I've seen. Um, I, I honestly I just have no interest in the genre. Yeah, I, I I really don't. If you guys were going, and you know you said, hey, do you want to come with? And I had nothing else on. I probably would because we don't see that many movies anymore. That's true. Yeah. I don't get how this one. So I mean, obviously this is. Of 2020, right? Of the upcoming right. year. So there's obviously there's no comparison or, or no, there's no comparison to how much more impactful will this movie be versus Godzilla King of Monsters, right? We don't have that comparison in the, in your source, right? Because that's not what, the, no. that's not what the, the point of it was. But I wonder how could this – how could Godzilla versus King Kong be more of a draw than Godzilla versus like half a dozen – notorious godzilla monsters that they put into king of monsters right like yeah how it seems like it's a step down like shouldn't we have built to more to, 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 to king more of monsters? monsters yeah like instead what? of a monkey yeah instead of a giant ass monkey <laughs> but i guess you know the giant ass monkey brings in the golden bananas so ah, there you go <laughs> <laughs> apparently yeah but one, but, at- uh, one atomic breath and king kong's dead He's just a fucking monkey he's just a giant I know. monkey he's literally a giant monkey in fact he's probably so weak you know, is there like whatever tanks can't Kong? pierce his, what you know, because tanks shoot at him in airplane. Yeah. In real life, that monkey would be like fucking owned. Yeah, in twenty seconds. Yeah, you think, you but think. like just because, okay, if you take a layer of skin and you make that layer of skin larger, does it also get <sighs> thicker? Okay, yes. Okay. But would that organic matter? still be able to resist like explosives and stuff? Well, like that? how See, much thicker? Does it get? You know what? If this movie answers that question, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> it's science. Well, let, let me tell you this. How many people do you need to line up nose to back ahead before a bullet cannot pierce all of them? Ooh. I have no clue. My guess is like <laughs> three or four. Yeah. Well, I don't know. If you get to five or six people in a row and the last dude at the end is fine. <laughs> Find the five people in front of him fall over dead. Like, <laughs> find some annoying teenagers and test it. <laughs> out. See how it goes. Hey, kids! I can tell you how many how many bodies it takes to stop an airsoft BB because it's usually mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's good. Good shit. 
Okay, let's move on to number All right, two. What's the next one? Okay, number two is the one that I actually thought was going to be number one. Uh, Mulan. A number... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Disney's been re- remaking everything. But I've seen the trailer for this, and this legitimately excites me. Yeah. It looks good. I really enjoyed that trailer. What was it? Whatever movie you, me, and Ghost Marty, we all saw. What, whatever the last one was. Oh, man. I can't even Didn't we that. actually see it to review it? <laughs> How long ago was it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, podcasting in 2011. It's good times. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it's a it was a really it's a really good trailer. Yes. Yeah. Um it looks like it takes the source material very seriously. Um I like I, I like what seems to be the casting, the set design. Like there is nothing about that trailer that didn't jazz me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't even seem preachy. Like you can understand why she leaves her family. You you see her dad in in the trailer, and he's like ready to go to war. And you're he he's so good with his body language, you know, like this feeble yeah. old man, you know, isn't going to get past the first arrow. Yeah, he could barely walk out of town for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. And so you're like, okay, I understand why this Joan of Arc kind of woman of honor would do this. Totally. And it, everything looks good. And I think, you know, I think it's going to make bank, of course, in Japan and China. It's you know that is kind of a classic you know, story. They call those period dramas. And Hmm. um, I think it'll be big out here. Is that people are calling this a thinking Mulan's going to be representative of a period drama. That's actually what my old Korean students in another life used to call them. They would call them period dramas or historical dramas. I don't know if there's a mistranslation, but that's why I was searching for the term is because that's what they told me. Now you're, you're asking like, is this, is this movie going to be like, historically accurate well, to the point that you can actually that's it where i'm a little dumbfounded that somebody thinking this is going to fall into that type of genre well i mean the story won't of course well yeah but does it end up being like i mean how how many how much criteria would you list and like how many boxes does it have to check before like yeah well let's put that label on it like who, who cares let's put it on there yeah I, I wonder i think you would have to have like okay well because i always thought that the actual setting is very nondescript and never completely defined as far as what asian country it's actually set in or the and the varying asian influences which is was all in the original animated uh movie like it's not like it's like for sure it's this is a this they're in japan or they're in china or right. or whatever i always thought it was very nondescript and kind of this blending of all of these different um cultures that you know they tried to represent in some ways so i don't know if the live action movie will be more definitive on that it it could be it could not be i mean i'm yeah i i don't want this to be my hill to die on because i honestly don't care if it's a realistic period drama or not um oh, i just shit, care face for... off a fucking cartoon i don't give a shit exactly. <laughs> I just thought that was Does funny. Eddie Murphy return? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the dragon yeah. or whatever. Um, no, that, but that looks good. And uh, I, what I really love from that trailer, I think we did talk about this on Mike too in a couple episodes ago, just like the mysticism that was yeah. displayed in the trailer. Just, I don't know, uh, really appealing to me. Yeah. 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 I would actually for sure love to go see this in theaters. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Because... With the kind of grand scope and outdoor locations and big battles, maybe that is enough to push it over the edge for me to want to see. I mean, I'm definitely intrigued. If they come out with another trailer that 
looks close to that first trailer, then I know I'm going to be dialed in. I'll, yeah, sign absolutely. Me up. Yeah, absolutely. Sign me up. So, yeah. So, so Mulan, we'll see what that does. And I have a sneaking funny feeling that Mulan is going to be a huge hit to the point to to overcome Godzilla versus Kong. I could be wrong. Of course I could be wrong. But you got to think it's going to make more money. You got to think it's, it's going to make got to make more money. And it wasn't much and of a difference. Let's talk like, about cultural significance. Yeah. How the hell did Mulan not be a number one? I don't got to understand this. Well, Some fanboy of King Kong is writing this list, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, interjected in between a bunch of these were like indie films that I've never heard of. Okay. Um, especially towards the bottom of the list. But I think it's like right, indie so this films isn't... that are like coming from Poland and... It's going to be really popular in like Russia, Ukraine, and Poland. Right, right, right. right. So, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't barely yeah. make it to North America, let alone be able to widely be viewed. Exactly. This is just one website's metrics okay. for. Right, right. And this isn't you know, the is. top 10. This is 10 from that list, but they're ordered in you pulling them, right? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it was ordered from 1 to 10, like what they think will be most to least, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. So. Number three is Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. Um, you could see where they go with that. I mean, Wonder Woman was considered a great movie, the first one. That should give it a lot of returning views. The trailer, that 80s trailer with the Blue Monday song is very popular. Yeah. Um, I yeah. love it. I love that song. I mean, I'm like down. And Gal, <laughs> Gal Gadot, I'm very down. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy Chris Pine's back too because he was really good yes. in the first Wonder Woman. I thought he was a great supporting role for Gal Gadot in that movie. Yes. Did a, like the writing for that for those two characters was really good for the majority of that first movie. Well, well and have you noticed they flipped the script? So now she's used to the right. 80s and Absolutely. he's the fish out of water. And he's here like 40 years later or whatever it is. Doesn't know what a trash can is. Yeah, absolutely. I don't get how or why he's back. And I know the explanation I'm not going to be happy with. It's probably going to be something really fucking dumb. Yeah. I, but I'm prepared for it at this point. Pretty, pretty <laughs> I'm prepared dumb. to not like it and be like, okay, well, this is stupid, but it, whatever. If the writing's good again, is it the same director? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Pat, I think Great. Patty Jenkins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. She's she's back. And I think she had more creative control along with Gal Gadot to make what they oh, wanted to make. Oh, cool. I think it's cool that they're, it's not just like it happens to be in the 80s. I mean, this is me. I'm an 80s file, but it's like, you know, we're going all in in this aesthetic. We're going to have like cars and it's going to be a lot of practical effects, but it's going to be there. And I like that they're creating this world in a certain time. And wherever Wonder Woman goes from here, probably 1984 is going to be left in the past as its own little part of her right. her life. And I, I think that, I think that's cool. It's very interesting that they decided to do that with wonder woman and i think really smart mm -hmm. um it's very emblematic of how many different changes over the decades wonder woman went through in the comics yes like you would literally flip you know get a, a volume or an issue from 15 years apart and like it's like a totally different character sometimes like and i think that was a lot to do with like just because she's a woman a female character too you know all the different gender biases and all that shit yeah and i think maybe that's emblematic of the character is that she adapts in right. this film series and in a way i mean it's not like a superpower or anything but that's a very important skill that she has to learn mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. you know she's still diana but, but she yeah well yeah in in the modern world she needs to or in the non-themascara world is what i mean when i say modern world 
yeah, she has to change with the times. Otherwise, like, she can't be an Amazon walking around yeah. <laughs> for a, a century, right? Like, she has to blend in and be able to. Right. And, and you know what? There's some irony there. So, you know, I mean, it's a trailer. It's a couple minutes. But there are a few shots of her being very glamorous and refined. And that's very different than how she started. Yeah. And, and so it's really interesting, again, to reinforce how much she has to adapt and change. I Yeah, I'm kind of interested in, in like, if it's going to be portrayed like she enjoys that. Like, she actually enjoys the, the time in which she's living. Right. Or if it's like, okay, she just knows that's what she's got to do. Right. I'm kind of interested in how they'll do that with character development and stuff. Yeah. Well, I hope we see that. I yeah, hope they yeah. don't pass that part by because always the human element of these characters is the, the most interesting thing. Yeah, well, I, and I, I, I hope that there's a lot of dialogue, not just of now Pine's character being the fish out of water, but like she's going to be a completely different person. Right. She's been living for the past 40 or, you know, this, whatever decade. What what war was the first one? The first world it was, war. Oh, it was the first world war. Okay. So nearly like a lot of time has passed. Like she's got to be a completely different person. Yeah. And I hope we see some of that reflected in the script too. Yeah. Just their relationship. Because their dynamic is going to be, one, like you said, completely flipped, but also completely different. Or at least it should yes, be. Yes, it should be. It should be. You're right. You would you would hope that she's almost I hate to say this but like less Amazonian less Diana because of yeah. the time she's just more culturally adept right and what would be really cool is that I I mean I think she's a good actress but if she, that somehow comes across naturally in how she plays the character mm-hmm. um we'll see you're right I mean the dynamic with Chris Pine's character suddenly coming back in the 80s as well like you know it's not like hey bud saw you yesterday I mean they're changes have occurred yeah, and you're absolutely. right you, you kind of want to see that yeah. so yeah i mean pal uh, patty jenkins and gal gadot kind of have their work cut out for them i think so uh, but it looks like a good start yeah 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 i'm excited to see that i'd probably see that in theaters yeah if you go i'd go i'd be very easy to get my arm twisted <laughs> yeah uh next we come to one of the two movies that i absolutely am going to see in the theaters no matter what and this is actually the wild card. I don't even know how this is on number four, but uh, I think it's basically they bank that it's going to make a lot of money. Dune. Oh, yeah. Okay. Dune. Yeah, yeah. I've seen so many times that film be called unfilmable, unmakeable. Uh, yeah. Dune. <laughs> but, I mean, listener, I don't know if you know Dune. Um, it's basically the progenitor of what we would think is the modern, like, space opera mm-hmm. um star wars was heavily influenced yeah. by it yeah. um it, it's basically about i mean there's a there's a giant galaxy but in order to fly around you need these kind of spice you need the spice you need the spice and the spice comes from one planet and you feed it to these navigators and it allows them to plot hyperspace without going crazy but out of all this galaxy that's running the economy is dependent on spice if the spice doesn't flow the entire galaxy just crumbles immediately. And so it's about these warring factions for the control of the spice, who runs it for the emperor. And I'm not going to get into, you know, plot details more than that, or else we get spoilery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Um, is this one you want to review for sure? Yes. Because you're buddy Debonneau or whatever? Uh, Yes. Um, Denny Villeneuve. Denny Villeneuve. Denny Villeneuve. The man who gave me Blade yes. Runner 2049. Oh, the infamous 2049. 
and a bunch of other good sci-fi. I think if anyone has a chance of making this, uh, it's it's Villeneuve. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't mind the um, version. Why am I forgetting the guy's name? You like him a lot. He's really weird. He made the 1980s version of Dune. He made Twin Peaks. Why can I not remember his name? Um, Lynch? Yeah, Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah. Yeah, That's embarrassing. Um, (laughs) But yeah, David Lynch. I saw his version last year. Um, I mean, it's it's flawed, but it's way better than I was told it was going to be. Really? Yes. I've, I've never seen it. You've never seen it? No. The... Really, the any flaw with that movie comes out that it was rushed, and I know that. Oh, I mean, yeah. Not not rushed to make the film, but they forced Lynch to make it much shorter than it was going to be. Originally, it was going to okay. be like three and a half hours or something like that. Whoa. And if it was, if the missing content had been there, I think it would have been a masterpiece. Hmm. You know what? Like, yeah, and if that was to be made now, it would be a two part movie. Or yes, it would be a three part movie for sure. Uh, there's no talks of them making it being a two-part movie uh no they, i don't do they still think it's risky to make this movie they do think it's risky to make this movie that's why i called it the wild card what i what i meant by my like no is they are planning to have other films after this now okay. where this one actually cuts off i don't right. know yeah have you read the novel i have not okay i have it on my kindle i have a couple chapters in i mean it, it was just like around before my generation so like you know people that are like a decade or more older than us like this is like like they grew up with like dune dune's a big thing and it's it's a big thing in like the board game hobby uh, quite honestly there's a few there was like an old old dune board game and it uh the rights got it was ffg they like lost the rights or whatever and then uh they basically reskinned it in the like theming with like twilight imperium theming so you had all those races reskinning this new dune game and now there's i think there's a a new dune game out as well wow um i think there's a if they think it's risky i don't know i think there's a pretty huge fan base for it like it's, it's one of those cult movies well yeah but what you're speaking of is basically blade runner and then that tanked financially yeah and that's why i call it a wild card i mean do i think that a dune audience is out there absolutely yeah will they actually show up and buy a ticket this time around i don't know i hope well, so do you so you think not all the blade runner fan base didn't show up for 24 hours or you think we saw the fan base show up and that's as big as the fan base is i actually now that you say it probably the latter yeah but then the question is is well i mean well there's two questions is the dune fan base much bigger so that they can sustain a movie and then beyond that will the movie actually appeal to non-dune fans i think that's the bigger question yeah really (laughs) if you know the story of dune it's very difficult to like get average joe to be like yeah you know giant sandworms right so who is cast in this one uh it's a bunch of no names for some of the lead roles so the main guy or the main kid he he looks to be about 17 years old um his dad i think duke duke leto atreides is played by oscar isaac who's like (laughs) three years older than me so now I've got this actor playing a dad of a teenage son, <laughs> right. so that made me feel really old. Yeah. There are some pretty big names for it. I I think it's got um Jason Momoa playing like a okay. bodyguard. I don't want to get this wrong. I almost want to just quickly check it. 
Dune cast. Let's see who else is notable there. Oh, Zendaya's in it. Mm, okay. Um, who's, you know, I mean, she's whatever. Yeah, Jason Momoa plays Duncan Idaho. Uh, Duncan is like a swordsman. He's like just a general. He's a badass good guy. Ooh, Stellan Skarsgård. I mean, he's not the world's most famous guy, but he just won an Emmy for his role in Chernobyl. Um, okay. Big Swedish yeah, guy. Yeah. He plays the bad guy. Uh, Harkonnen. Oh, Josh Brolin is in it as Gurney. Uh, okay. Gurney who okay. trains Paul, the yeah, main yeah. the main character. Okay, it's got some. Yeah, and it's it's got some. It's got a few other people we know. Dave Bautista, Javier Bardem, but they're listed as um, they don't have a name of a character yet. And a lot of the big oh, characters are taken away, so we'll see who they are. Huh. Okay. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that one. Unfortunately, hopefully it's a case of save the best for last because it comes out in December. So we're not going to see it. For oh, okay. Yeah, it comes wow. out right before the end of the year. This one is probably the most controversial for me. <laughs> I don't know how much I want to get into it. No Time to Die is number five, the new James Bond movie. Oh, okay. I was like, what oh, yeah. the fuck what movie is, is this? What is going to be controversial? I mean, okay. First of all, I don't like that Daniel Craig is even in it. Um, oh? after all the shit that uh, he said about, okay. I, I never will forgive him for that. Okay. It, it was a real slap in the face to the fan base. It's a real slap in the face. This time you can tell from the trailers, they, he mistakenly dies. He, he's no longer 007. That goes to a new agent. You know, he comes back. Now you're not a huge James Bond fan. Okay. No, no. But this is like at least the third time something almost exactly like this has happened to James Bond. Yeah. And so for me, that's one of the most groan-worthy things. Like, again, can you not have an agent with a license that just does agent shit for one movie? Please. <laughs> Without it being an origin or an underwritten movie during a writer's strike. Yeah. Or a psychological delving into his childhood, which has nothing to do with him being an agent, but it was cool to see one time. And, like, really the only movie where he's actually an agent was like specter and that was probably one of his worst Daniel ah, Craig. everything else was some sort of spin on origin or something like that other than him just going on a mission like he used to. right but i mean other than that i think there's only one trailer so far so i don't know a ton yeah and that trailer i was so lost for me that too. trailer it did not draw me like i felt like I hadn't watched 20 years of a soap opera, and then I was seeing a trailer for the, a new episode. Right. I'm like, what? Who the... F I had no fucking idea who any of these people are. And I know we spoke after. I'm like, who Who were those people? I know. And only because I had seen all the other films, and there's some characters that come back. Well, see, I just assumed that. everyone we saw in that trailer, I assumed that we were supposed to know exactly who they were. Yes, which is a problem for James Bond. James Bond has always been episodic in mm. that it, it you know, it, well, or more like Monster of the Week, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's like that's a good, something happens. That's a pretty apt description. Wipe your hands, next mission. Right. And they brought in his girlfriend from the last one, who I believe is like his wife at the beginning of this. And James Bond was already married once. It was a big deal. Yeah. Like in the past. So yeah, now yeah. they've done it again. <laughs> You've got Christoph Waltz as, you know, Blofeld sitting in a cage, but you only see that for like two seconds. And so had you not seen Spectre, like, Christoph Waltz, why is he here? Why is he in a cage? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then Remy Malik, who the fuck even knows what he's doing? Yeah, right. like, I See, I the way he was revealed in that trailer, I'm like, I'm supposed to know who his character is, right? Like, it just felt like 
Right. They were like, we were getting, they were showing us, because we never saw, like, uh, we didn't see any real, like, reactions to people, like, people, like, James Bond seeing these new characters for the first time. So I never no. got the sense, like, James has no idea who this pe- person is either. So the audience shouldn't. Like, I didn't get that at all from this trailer. It was just a bizarre trailer to watch. Because uh, I haven't seen Spectre. Um, the last one I saw was actually Skyfall. Yeah. But how many films ago was Spectre? There was two films? No, uh, Spe- sorry, Spectre was Is followed Skyfall, Skyfall and, and then, then now there's this. Okay. That's what so I thought. That but, so I've only, I've only hadn't seen the one then of, of the Daniel Craig's. This movie doesn't draw me whatsoever. I don't give a shit about it. Like, I mean, I don't care about 007. I haven't seen any of the old ones other than like Pierce Brosnan and stuff. Like, I've seen none of none of uh, like Dalton or Connery. Like, I haven't seen right. any of the the you know the ones that people that fans of 007 like the classic ones for them. Fan here, right? Yeah. So I haven't seen any of those. So I don't have any connection to this movie whatsoever. Yeah, I, I figure as much. And this is not. I mean, you've never asked, but this is not on my must see in theaters list. Yeah. If the reviews are absolutely outstanding and there's a second trailer that comes out that makes me go like, Eureka, wow, I'm hooked on this bait now. Okay, maybe. Yeah. But right now, no. Not well, as we, we saw Skyfall in theaters. Skyfall was great. I love I Skyfall. I really like Skyfall. It's one of my top three yeah, bonds. it was super cool. I'm wondering if like my disconnection, my disassociation with this franchise also lent to me really liking Skyfall. Um, because like you said, like we're just getting some insight into James's back story, right? Right. And it's like, whether or not it has done before or was newish for this new set of Bond films, it didn't matter to me because I'm like, I've never seen any of this regardless. So this is cool. But it also sounds like with this latest stint of Craig's Bond that they are more catering to newer fans of, of the franchise and mm-hmm. not paying much fan service to diehards and people that you know, are forking over probably the majority of the money for these new movies and that stuff. Do you think? Do you think these movies are are supposed to be uh, a huge draw for general audience goers? Like, you think the studios are like, yeah? I mean, obviously, every studio is going to want that, right? They want people that, especially when you're making a yes. franchise film, they're going to want people that have nothing to do or care don't care about the franchise to be interested in seeing this film. I absolutely think that's the route they're going to go. Are they going to be successful at it? I'm not sure, but I I know that's the route they want to go because Bond fans like myself are very conservative, probably probably politically as well. And so, like, for example, in this one, 007 has been replaced by a woman. Right. And she really demeans Bond in every scene she's in with him in the trailer. Yeah. Making, you know, anti-do jokes. And... So that is something that will piss off the core Bond audience. <laughs> right. And you wouldn't put that in if you're really trying to get the core audience back. Right. Right. So try to try to gain a new following while alienating the Exactly. First one. Exactly. And I think where the bet is is that um traditional Bond fans for the most part are aging to the point that, you know, they go to the movies less and if they okay. don't change I'm playing devil's advocate here, but if they don't change, Bond will will right. die won't right. make enough money to be a series anymore okay so yeah well we'll just see how heavy-handed they are in some of the changes we will right and if i start reading you know a lot of reviews that say it is heavy-handed in that way then it's not like i won't ever see it of course i'll see it but i, I would wait for streaming i mean right. for a movie i'm not gonna go go by myself yeah, so. yeah, yeah next one's pretty intriguing number six ghostbusters afterlife this one also had a pretty 
Good trailer. Yeah, it I did. liked the trailer. <laughs> it was the definition of a teaser trailer. Like yes. teasing you with yes. shadows in the old car and yep. things like that. Yeah. It hit all of the perfect amount of nostalgia oh, buttons. Yeah. Like this was a really well crafted trailer. It felt Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is a very specific feel. Right. And for teaser trailer to do that in 2020 because you know upgraded technology and everything like that you're going like okay and it's jason reitman who's directing it he is the original director's son and i think that plays a lot into it interesting i think you know him and his dad both directors at the very least if his dad's style wasn't his own he at least knows his dad's style and how much he has to bring into that right right so i have two thoughts with with this trailer while i really like the trailer and I'm very interested in seeing it. Again, I don't know about theater go, but probably this one also feels like one maybe you should go to the theaters to see. Um, just with updated spectacle of it, who knows how much spectacle we'll actually get. Yeah. Because it seems like they're in some little podunk small-ass town. Yeah. So I don't know. But the first two things are, I'm almost on the verge of burnout for Paul Rudd. Okay. And second thing is, more kid actors. Yeah. Don't give a shit about kid actors. I'm so over fucking kid actors. It almost seems like a genre now. Yeah, it's like, like, what the fuck? What, what do we do? We've got a movie series. Well, let's make kids reboot it. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. With like some old, exactly. you know, some old actors to come in and make yeah. us have goosebumps and like a tear to our eye, which yeah. to the trailer's credit doesn't show the old Ghostbusters coming back, but we know they're in it. We know Dan Aykroyd and uh, Bill Murray, who was very difficult to get back. He's yeah. in it. Ernie Hudson. So so weird. You know, I, that whole, like, the whole thing with Ghostbusters 3 trying to get off the ground after, you know, when these movies were new. And just the reluctance of Murray and all the problems. Like, it's so weird. It is so weird. And now, like, now, and now, decades later, yeah, I'm on board. Well, I think the worry of this is like, okay, so those actors are not just old now they're really old yes and they're like if you expect them to come running in with proton packs and like throw shit down i don't think you're gonna see that in their it's gonna look dumb yeah it would (laughs) like it's gonna look stupid i just imagine like a ghost in a wheelchair and like old ghost and they're like I ain't afraid of no ghost (laughs) well they're literally wielding atomic weapons too yes and every time in the originals when you see them blast them, there's physicality to yes. using oh, yeah. those weapons. Absolutely. So I don't want to see any of those little fucking kids use one of them things without getting blasted back like they're fighting a shotgun in two. Like, oh, yeah. Some fucking little 10-year-old's going to wield a goddamn proton pack? No way. Oh, no. First of all, the fucking thing is as big as the kid is. Right. To put on their goddamn shoulder. Yes. Like, why do we have kids? I don't fucking want these kids. I hate children. I fucking hate them. Well, no, you're totally right. Yeah. And even if the physicality is proportional, that's still wrong. Because that physicality should blast the kid across Hell the yeah, it should. And Fuck like, yeah, it should. And so, you're, oh, you're right. You're going to ruin that movie. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm now going to watch. Like, you're going to ruin it because even if somehow they pull it off, I'll be like you're looking at it like, you yeah. damn kid, don't, exactly. you, don't you pick up that yeah. proton pack. Oh, man. And, like, if the kid's driving the car downtown, perfectly driving or something, too, I mean, <laughs> That's even funny. the fact, like, okay, 
an old Studebaker car like that that's been in a shed for 30 years, you don't just turn and turn the key and it yeah, turns exactly. on, right? Like yeah, these yeah. things need to be repaired. Yeah. Life exists. Yeah, right. Stuff happens. It's like the old. Stuff. It's like uh, in Jurassic World, the old jeeps they find in in, in the original <laughs> oh, yeah. park main center. Oh, it's the same shit. <sighs> so maybe it's we'll dead. get a we'll get a tune up montage. Oh, there you so go. What you, I don't. I didn't really get it from the trailer, but what exactly is the range of age that the keep these kids are supposed to be? So the one kid is like the niece or nephew of one of the yes. original Ghostbusters. Yes. Um, to me, it looks like I, I hate to almost say like generic young teen, yeah, like okay. you know, thirteen, fourteen. Right. Oh, when I was that age, Maybe I used to think like I'm old. Uh-huh, I'm old. I'm a teenager yeah, right. now. And then I look at what thirteen year olds are actually like, and it's like no. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. So, yeah, just kind of that almost coming of age, but not where it's like, this is them coming to age, but not physically by the end. I'm right. Sure. Okay. Damn it. They are going to shoot a proton pack. At some of course. Point. One you of them know, they're going to pick up a proton. You know, they're going to do yeah. it. And you know what? Can't. I you know what would be, I mean, I don't know how cheesy it might actually be cheesy, but like, if you get like a, like a fire hose scene, you know, the classic. Oh. Like fire hose is too powerful for one person, and it is like flailing them around off the ground while they're firing. This that could be okay. I don't oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. we'll wait for that cross. You know what? I, I also love about the kids is like it's not kids in eighties, but it's kids nostalgying for the eighties. <laughs> so you still have that fucking connect that stupid eighties kids genre that is a right that that Stranger Thing invented basically right like. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Damn it. Damn this there's, film. There's Damn no re- you, Jason Reitman, <laughs> for making that. Well, I mean, that's honestly a, the trap. When you go to set out to make a movie like this, that's the trap. That yeah. you, you, can, you cannot escape the quicksand of it, right? Like, right. it grabs you and it pulls you down. And hopefully you got a little bamboo shoot that you can keep poking above the surface until you can find a way to get out of there on your own, right? All right. Well, I rate this movie three out of ten. Why even go see it? I already know what's going to happen. And whatever. There you go, I listener. Made. Here we go, listener. Guaranteed world's first review of Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now number seven. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. No big deal. Not excited. Yeah. At all. Whatever. Yeah. Okay, listener. This is literally my life. Like consuming together. <laughs> Top Gun is my favorite movie of all time. If you know me in real life. Um, I absolutely love Top Gun. I love both trailers I've seen for this. Tom Cruise flies in some scenes. <laughs> I mean, I, you know what? All I have to look forward to really is disappointment because I know it's yeah. not going to match up. It it can't. It can't. It doesn't. Well, first of all, it doesn't have that 80s aesthetic that right. the first does. You can already tell. Because um, there's no kids in it. There's no kids. Because <laughs> they're blind fighter jobs. <laughs> Well, the the kid in it is twenty six years old, oh, okay. so which is what, what Maverick's age was in the original. Mm, so okay. it's uh, it's like Goose's son, who he he trains. And I mean, look, there's good story beats for them to do. I'm sure the jets will be cool and stuff like that. Yeah, but I mean, look, it's it's not going to match up to the first, and I I'm working on that as well. I also really worry about Val Kilmer being in this. Yeah. Um, Val Kilmer, listener, if you don't know, he's undergone some severe health problems in the last five years. Um, he had esophageal cancer. Uh, he needed a trach. He looks very different. He's like very puffy, slow moving. His voice is kind of high and screechy. Uh, like, I don't know how they use him without him being like pitiable. They're like, 
Like, he's not Iceman. You're like, oh, poor Val Kilmer. Like, he had cancer. Right. I don't get how his scenes could be seen right. anywhere else yeah. any other way. Actually, if you were to tell me what do I think is going to happen, I think there's actually going to be, like, Maverick goes to Iceman for advice, but he's in, like, a hospital bed dying of cancer. Oh, Or shit. sick. I think that's the only way of doing it. Wow. That would be Being realistic. crazy. So. Some, um, like, weird lesson of mortality for Maverick or whatever. Yes. I also worry... And I can see this in the trailer that they're trying too hard for the nostalgia. So, you know, you see Maverick get his old jacket. He dusts off his old motorcycle. He drives the motorcycle beside the runway, racing a jet, just like he did. All these are scenes ripped right out of the original. Yeah. And, like, you want an homage or two like that, but you don't want everything copying and being like, don't you remember how much fun Top Gun was? Do you remember how fun it was? Yeah. I think there's even a volleyball scene, which is like, really? <laughs> I thought it was a different sport. Maybe it was a different, maybe it was basketball. So, yeah, I thought it was basketball or football uh, or something stupid. Now like we that. get naked basketball. Yeah. I don't right. know how else you play basketball, but I am usually naked when I play basketball. I'm glad T-Hud has never played basketball <laughs> again. That would be slightly awkward. Yeah, well, so this this comes out June 26th. We'll okay. Goes. Interesting. I'll be there opening night. This one is one of the two that I'm going to be there. Opening night. Probably like. Well, I hope you have fun. I hope so too. (laughs) Uh, Moving on to number eight, we continue the goodbye trilogy uh, of Fast and Furious 9. Oh my God. This made a list. This this made the little. But you know, it makes a shit ton of money. Yeah. I feel like they're like a bell curve. Like, you know, the first one's kind of whatever, throwaways, just trying to capitalize on street racing. But then like number four, five, six, they're actually quite entertaining yeah, when they're yeah. ice movies. Like, but then, you know, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but Paul Walker was an enormous part of the franchise. You lose him, you do a fantastic send away movie that's great. Everybody cries. Everybody cries. But then after that, it's like, okay, well, let's just go back to doing heist and quasi government stuff. Yeah. And it's a letdown. Right. It's a letdown. And I wonder how much of this um, has to do with Vin Diesel's ego and just like, I want to be popular and cool, make lots of money with my big franchise. He's such a weird guy. He's, he is a very strange yeah. man. He's kind of, after he's that video you sent uh, of him in that interview, yeah. where he was just constantly just hitting on the, the woman interviewing him. That was the most disgusting. Like, he's scuzzy, dude. It was really That's, scuzzy. I, I don't know. He gives me the kiwis now after watching that. Like He does. I like, I imagine if he was doing that to my sister. Because, listener, on this interview, he starts hitting on this female asking the question. Yeah. And there's other videos of celebrities doing this. But, like, when, when these women brush people off once or twice, you know, ha-ha, they kind of stop. Vin doesn't stop until the interview literally has to end. Yeah. Like, he's it's so he's gross. He's just like, I, I can't get over your beauty. I, like, I can't. Look at her. Look, look she's gorgeous. Look at, her. look at her talking to people outside the camera, like the producers, as if they should fucking Yeah, call right? Her. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so gross. It was. It's it fucking was Vin Diesel. Very, very <laughs> gross and awkward to watch. But yeah, Fast and Furious 7, it exists. It's going to make a lot of money. People are going to see it. I mean,. Okay, I'll give it this. Like, it's one of those movies where it's like, you know, okay, girlfriend, you know, let's go have dinner tonight. Oh, what do you want to do after? Well, Fast and Furious 9 is out. Like, you can sit through it like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I have no passion for it otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, still haven't seen Fast 8, by the way. Have you? No, no, okay, no. no. Um, is The Rock in it? I don't even know anymore. Or is, he, is, is Statham in it? Because okay, they the, had their little buddy 
spinoff. Yeah. Okay. The Rock is not in the new one. Right. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I wonder how much of that is a feud because Vin Diesel did not like The Rock right. to make his own <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah. On this, but everybody else did because the rights holders sure did. Right. So I mean, they you know they have Letty, Letty, they have Paul Walker's you know ex-wife in the series back. I know the actress is named Jordana Brewster. I forget what her name is in the show. Who cares? <laughs> so, okay. Somehow they bring Han back from the dead. Who was like, oh, who was like one of the more poignant scenes before Paul Walker's death was that, you know, Han, one of their crew right. dies. And now suddenly shows up eating like his sandwich again. And <laughs> I hate these like miraculous people yeah. coming back. They doing everything. Yeah. Well, there's just like the, like these movies don't have any stakes, right? No, like, they don't. We, they're we, so overblown che- now. Chewbacca, we got into that. How much better would have that movie been? Oh yeah, if, che- if che- Chewbacca had just died, died in the gravitas, and Ray had killed him. That would have been so good. So good, but nope. Yeah. So, anyways, let's go past that. Yeah, next. Okay, this one's pretty intriguing. Um, Free Guy, where Ryan Reynolds oh, yeah, plays yeah. the NPC in the video game world. Yeah. My concern with this one is it kind of looked like a video game world. That our parents, if they were producers of this movie, like would that's make. what they like, think. That's what video games are. You press these two buttons and just explosions everywhere. And yeah. it's like, okay, no, they're not really like that. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It could have smart. Maybe. Smart I hope so. so. I mean, you think, I mean, I hope like Reynolds has some say in some stuff. Like, I yes. don't know. Yes. Because he is naturally a funny guy. Right. Still relatively young, so I mean, he, he knows what video games should be like. Yeah. I didn't find myself laughing at all during the trailer. I was interested, but I, didn't I don't actually laughing. know that I've seen the trailer. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know what else to say. And I mean, I just need to see some reviews. I, I don't plan on seeing theaters, but it's there and it's supposed to be a big, notable movie. Um, and then to cap us off for the 10th, Black Widow. Mm, I'll see that in theaters. Yeah, and I love Scarlett Johansson as his character, um, as I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. But why give her a Black Widow movie now after she's long dead? I know. It doesn't make any sense. Like, this is just, like, something that I think fans want. One. Like, I think people want this movie. I think a lot of people like ScarJo's Black Widow. And... I guess they didn't realize that until now, until like, oh, now they can finally fit it into their production schedule for these movies. Like yeah. That's what it feels like. It feels like this thing got the brush off for so long, for like five years, this thing, right? Right. Like they, this thing should have came out like five years ago. Right. And I mean, here's the problem with something like this. So we know where Black Widow ends up. And for me, that steals all weight from this movie. It's going to be a self-contained movie yeah. story where she does some cool shit, meets some cool people. But you know she's not going to die in it. You know she's not going to get maimed in it. I, I, I well, just yes, because obviously it will take place before all of the of MC, before the MCU, right? Yeah. So obviously. I don't know. I have no idea what they're going to do. Is there a trailer for this out yet? Yes, like, there is. Okay, yeah. so I haven't seen that. I don't know what the fuck they're D- going to do with David that. Harbour is in it, and he plays like her oh, fat that's right. dad. Okay. I do see, I recall we, we seeing some like set photos of him and stuff. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what to expect from this one. I don't know. Do they think they're trying, it's funny, do they, does Marvel think they want to do a Wonder Woman thing? Like, is that what they think they're going for? Like a cool, I like, wonder. interesting set piece, like, yeah. away from everything? Like the first Wonder Woman. But like you said, it's the opposite with Wonder Woman. 
we know that she she I mean, well, it's kind of not it's it's similar when I say opposite. I mean, like we know we'll see her in future movies in present day movies, ideally. Right. For the right. for the DCEU, but not Black Widow. But what so what's the difference though? Like because we know in Wonder Woman, I mean, despite all of her extraordinary powers, we know nothing bad's gonna happen to her in these movies set decades before the present in these this movie. It's a good point. Universes. I think there's a difference. There's a difference for me that Black Widow's dead. There's a difference that okay. her story already has an right. End. It's, it's okay. And it's I done. think for me that's the thing I can't get over right. with it. I also, you're right. I think the fans have been asking for this, but I also think the movie is a, a little bit of a subtle panic move by Marvel going like, well, what else are we doing this year? Like, yeah, we had this past huge yeah. year and whatnot, but like, are we going to have such a dearth that people are going to forget about us? Okay, well, let's put one of those cool Avengers in their own movie in 2020 right? and try to keep attention going. Yeah, because I had thought, I had heard forever ago that like after Far From Home, there wasn't going to be an MCU anything for like a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, I heard similarly. And that's what I think this movie is, is like, okay, well, maybe we don't want to go that long with having nothing. Like we, we don't want to have the fans move on when they're still right. interested in this stuff. Yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously they know who Scarlett Johansson is. Like they know what a big name they have. Right. I mean, they work with a lot of big names. They have, they have a lot of big names now. Whether, I mean, obviously the argument where the MCU created some of the ginormity of those names certainly plays a part. And you can have that argument. But, like, Scarlett Johansson was still Scarlett Johansson before she was Black Widow, right? Like, I feel like yeah. of many – and obviously RDJ is obviously another exception. But I feel like when it comes – well, especially Hemsworth and even Evans, like, the MCU is make, making their career careers, right? Yeah. I mean, Evans was a failed – Johnny Storm, right? Those yes, fans, and that's those, true. And again, failed Fantastic Four movies. So, is it is it like? I mean, is, is ScarJo currently getting a lot of? But like, she got a, a a nominee for for that movie, right? The one with um, Kylo, where they the, oh the, the yeah, marriage yeah, thing. yeah, like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, Marriage Story, Marriage yeah, yeah. Story. So she got she got an Oscar nom for that, did she not? Yes, yes, she right. Did. Yes, so. I mean, how much of that buzz leading into it was also a fa- any, or was production already on its way? Like, how many different things are playing into I, this? I honestly don't know, just because. I mean, I was pretty much a casual Marvel fan who who happily saw most of the movies in theaters, but you know, it's just there's very few Marvel movies that I'm like, okay, I really want to go because I, you know, I love this particular character, right? It was even hard to drag me to Civil War, or sorry, um, Civil War and also uh, Winter Soldier, which ended up being fantastic, mm-hmm. of course. But I was like, oh, you know, Captain America, yeah, his movie is fun, whatever. And I kind of look at just uh, Black Widow the same way. Interesting, yeah, because I mean, I've, I've said numerous times, numerous t- MCU conversations we've had on this fucking show that Winter Soldier was the last Marvel movie that I was really pumped to go see. Like really excited for, because that also had an awesome first trailer, the first trailer of that movie. So for me, the draw for this is Scarlett Johansson and her character. I mean, she she she's a great Black Widow. We've again we've talked about this before, but Black Widow is a great supporting character in all of these Marvel movies. She's so yeah. good, just the way she plays off with Cap too. Like that, their relationship is such a well executed relationship for the two of them. 
yeah, I don't know. She like her her character is drawing me. So I think they I think that shows that they've done her character a service, at least in my eyes. For me, for for the movies I like to watch, her character is the draw for me to go see that movie for sure. All right. Well, you know what? If you go see it, like I absolutely will go see it. With yeah, you, and we'll review it. I mean, it's you know it's the Marvel tent pole for this year. Right. And you know what? I, I'm intrigued to see if Scarlett Johansson, who's a great actress, if she can carry a movie with this character now that she's been given the choice. That's you a put good, it the you put it the question. best way. She's a fantastic supporting character. Yeah, yeah. So That's who's going to be her supporting character? Well, apparently a fat David Harbour. <laughs> David Harbour is always fat. <laughs> yeah, could he ever be thin? Like, are you no, trying, he's trying just to... a beast of a man, and that's how he should always be. Well, maybe he got thin after he saw how little his paycheck was for Hellboy. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I got shredded for I got fucking shredded. nothing. I got shredded for nothing. <laughs> I'm just going to eat pizza that I can't even afford yeah, because fuck, I'm getting yeah. no profit sharing uh, on the sales. Uh, but that's it, listener. That is a, um, I mean, that you know, you may like certain movies more than others. But for the most part, as far as notable top 10 releases for 2020, that's our slate. It's a good list. Yeah, I mean, it's we actually that segment went longer than I thought it would. Um, I I did I didn't know how much we'd have to talk about like five of these, but we yeah, let it go yeah, a yeah. bit. Yeah. So yeah, there's not much draw though for theater going experience in that ten. No. Quite honestly, and again, I mean, another thing we've talked endless amounts of hours about is the lack of draw to the cinema. Yes, the cinema no longer is. As tantalizing as it once was. <laughs> no. <laughs> where we where we had gold gilded tickets <laughs> dressed in and sm- fine yes. time pieces. And smuggled Lucky Force Eights. <laughs> yes. Smuggled Lucky Force Eights. Lucky Force Champagne. Ah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sipping it out of champagne glasses. Yes. Two thousand eight was a great vintage for <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh. <laughs> All right, let's let's, let's get out of this movie headspace and move on to crazy about cardboard, where we are finally after two how many how long oh are we my this? like two years two years that we're finally going to be talking about a game near and dear to both of our hearts, Magic the Gathering. Oh my goodness, am I pumped? Yes, now that Marty has died and has been buried for quite some time, despite the numerous seances, uh, we can finally talk about this without worrying yes. about boring anybody else other than listener yeah and you know it's funny that we start off this way because that's a great that's a great joke to to start off that's a great thing to talk about but it was weird how marty never got into this game uh, yeah i'm not sure why or i don't really know what his reluctance but there was. were entire hangouts you know especially in the mid 2000s you know like 10 12 years ago where I invite you guys over and like yourself, me, anti-listener, I, even my sister, we'd all play. And Marty would just kind of beat it, mm-hmm. sipping a, a beer and mm-hmm. just never really wanted to to get involved. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. Well, I mean, hell, even even your your brother would play a game or two with us. Yeah. 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 A lot of us got into it. I mean, you know what? Why don't why don't you start about talking like with your your history magic? When did you first play? Because you kind of helped me get into it. So I um, I started pretty close to its inception, um, wow. maybe a few sets in. I remember I remember getting my first 
Portal Second Age, I think it was, like, booster, like, or starter kit. Wow. Um, in the early 90s. And so that would put me in grade three or four, because I remember there was a brief time in which my younger brother and I attended a daycare after school. It was very conveniently located to the elementary school in which we were, you know, we, we when we were younger, we kind of bounced around schools quite a bit, so elementary schools anyways. But there was kind of this one brief stint, like uh, this this daycare, that my like my brother and I, we both got into it, and we both loved it. Um, me more so than him. He was a little bit of a cantankerous little shit. Always has been, yes, always will be. <laughs> but yeah, so like, and then from there, it was, it was from, from the, yeah, over the last like 25 years or whatever, 20 years, there have been periods in which I'm in it and the periods in which I'm out and like probably like five or six of those on and off periods for me. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is when you're out, you're actually out as in giving away your cards. That happened um, at least twice a fair number of times yes and, uh, and in a way that's actually how i first got into it i'm trying to remember because i remember when i first actually bought decks and, and i'm going to talk about that i remember my first decks where i bought my first boosters i don't think you were there i think it was my friend nathan but soon after i think was my birthday like three four months later and then you gave me a shit ton of awesome dragons and stuff like yeah that. yeah i certainly have an affinity for dragons when it comes to this game yeah, 100%. Still do. Still do. Yeah. Well, those dragons are well taken care of in well, my mind. I'm, I'm glad that they are. <laughs> I'm glad that they are. Uh, I always have a dragon deck or multiple yes. dragon decks. <laughs> yes. I and shoehorn you, dragons into all my decks. Is what and, and you like the really old quirky dragons yes. with like weird oh, art. Oh, the original elder dragons. <laughs> God yeah. damn, I love those five bad boys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Temples <laughs> of this franchise. Yes. It's funny because with Magic the Gathering, you'll, you know, listener, these, we're not going to get into all the mechanics, but suffice to say, Leland's dragons are very expensive in resource cost. <laughs> yeah, they're ridiculous. And then you have Moby that just like buys whatever 10 cent kill spell is from the most recent <laughs> set, yeah. fills his deck with those and keeps frying these dragons that way. Yeah. And you get annoyed. But you said I just still play because yeah. once in a while you'll have a game where your dragon's like curb stomp me. Yeah, and have everyone in a hundred games. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> that's oh, and that's that's so rough. Well, um, that's such a that's such a, a I think a stereotypical new player thing to to do and way to play is like big beefy creatures. Yes, and huge convert mana costs. In which you yeah. pay, right? Like that's like that's like the first I think one of the things like new players like want to do. They want to cast these huge they do. and have these things on the battlefield. I was there. Oh, that was I'm still there, there, man. I still play that way. I will never stop playing that way. <laughs> and it's fun sometimes when we put a, a Titanic large creature deck against another and it, you and I it takes several turns to build up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're both we're like, both yeah. building <laughs> and we're not using various shortcuts that you can use. We we all own cards for those shortcuts, yeah. at least I do, to pump up your mana, which is your resources listener, and get these big cards out there. Um but I, I enjoy playing that way too. You know, particularly with you and me, do you have any specific memories that are really good that stick out? I just it always seems like Every time we play, inevitably in the night, if we were playing for like two or three hours, 
half of that time will be me stubbornly saying no again with this matchup. Again. <laughs> yeah. Again. I will continuously lose. I'll lose like a dozen times in a row. Again, again, until finally either I win or I'm like, okay. My cards are I'm smoking from yeah, friction. I'm switching I'm like, okay. Yeah. No, I, I like that too. A good memory with you is I end up playing with your decks against you. Oh, lot, yeah. I love that. Which <laughs> you enjoy because you can't lose. I know. One of my decks <laughs> will win. One of your win. decks is going to have a great game. <laughs> so I always enjoy that. I, I sometimes used to pull that offer out when I could tell you're getting frustrated and be like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Moby, take a pick. Pick a deck, any deck. Yeah. Well, I'm... I don't want to tan- I don't want to get off of this memory yeah. train because I will stick on. So I'll, hopefully I'll remember to come back to this point I want to make. But also the other thing I love about our gaming relationship, basically, when it comes to this game, because like I only I only play with you, right? Like I don't I no longer have any other people that I and I, I you know when I was younger there was lots of other places that I went to play, which are some of my memories too. But just you and I, we get into these arms literal arms yes. races when it comes to buying sets on ebay we're like oh, hey man. guess what i just picked up you're like oh god damn it oh that's exactly got, it. like that is both my most my favorite and the most hated because <laughs> it's very, i know it's very detrimental to a bank account because yeah you can get like depending on the rarity but you get a play set for like two or three bucks but you're buying like 50 playsets because <laughs> <laughs> then one deck needs to leads to another deck yeah oh leland's doing you know and Leland's doing like a giant caterpillar deck. And it's like, <laughs> I, well, I, I, I got to squash those bugs. Oh, the tribal. The, the tribal, tribal is such I'm get a trap. It's such a trap. But it, it's funny because like, you know, we just, we must have had like a solid eight to 10 arms races. Oh, you know, yes. Every year yep. or so, it'd be like, hey, Leland, so I've started this deck. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, indeed, Moby. No. Wait. <laughs> Wait. Let us boot up the eBay. Oh, well, I was like, well, you know, I've always wanted to make a tree folk deck, so <laughs> excuses needed. <laughs> oh, man, it's so true. It's so true. But then, you know, I, I get the pleasure of you getting into a spot where you don't play magic and you give all those cards away. Ah, that's funny. I would have so many cards. I would have a, a oh, very yeah. well curated collection yeah. have I had all if I had ne- had I never given anything away. But now you are different than me because you you will build a deck and then that deck remains together. Well, I always have at least a do- literally a dozen decks that are constructed yeah. at a time. Yeah, which is so different than me. I have about five binders. Um, I have all my cards, you know, sorted in my own pattern, but then. So many of my cards intersect between different decks. So right. I personally only have usually two, maybe three decks on the go. Never more than yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. And I th- so for me, it's one, I'm shit at building decks. And I certainly commend you can you make some incredibly good decks. Well, I appreciate that. I'm terrible at making a, a like a a deck that's like com- a competitive deck. I'm very terrible at making competitive decks. But basically I, I don't know we are going to get into some kind of how we construct decks, but very before we really dive into it, tangentially, I just like, I see, you know, I, I think, oh, this card is cool or, oh, this mechanic is cool. Let's throw some shit together. So like, and I yeah. and I also will build, I love multicolor stuff. Right. So a lot of my decks are always three to five colors. Yes. Which for those unacquainted is not always the best thing and lends to some other challenges in the actual deck building itself. That's right. Especially when it comes to balancing your mana. Yeah. 
So I so that's why there is much less overlap in my decks because if I'm playing a black, white, red, not 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 many of those are going to overlap no. with even with a black, green, red, even like a June deck. There's not going to be many cards overlapping because I like the multicolored spells. So most of the cards in those decks which are comprised of all three of those colors. Yes. So you can't put a black, red, green into a black, white, red because you don't have green to cast it in the white, right? Like so, right. So there's very little overlap for me, which allows me to have so many decks constructed at a time. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. That yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's. Uh, I do notice you love your multicolor. <laughs> I do too. But it's almost like the the spells, as they're called, that you can play the cards you can play that are, you know, three plus color are, are the most fun when you can actually. Yeah. Get yeah. They're most wild. They're most random. Um, sometimes they're sometimes they're most really powerful. powerful. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where you get tripped up most often playing with me. I will most commonly play two colors or one, but right. I'm rarely playing three plus colors ever. And so it's very easy for me to get the lands lands. Listener, you basically put out lands, you, Turn them sideways called tapping for mana, which is your resource. That's how you pay for stuff. But if you don't have lands of the right color, you can't pay for that. Right. Thing. And so where Leland gets stuck a lot, honestly, is he just missing a color or two? Yes, absolutely. I get my ass screwed. Yeah. And, and so then he's, you know, got a full hand, but he can't right. play anything. And there, yeah. there are myriads of ways to mana balance. And there's other cards that you can put in that help you with the color curves. But then you're like taking up slots for these other cool super expensive dragons I want to play. So okay. I don't want to put my Chromatic Lantern, which allows me to tap my mana for any color I want, if it means I can't play four awesome <laughs> dragons that I'll never actually get to cast. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so, like, happy with you at times when you can actually play your big shit. It's, it feels good. Shit. Yeah, it feels good. It's, it's big. Yeah. It's, it's good. Most of the memories that come to mind and amuse me are with anti-listener. <laughs> yeah. So memory, I remember, like, like these are real memories. So listener, you can only, you're only allowed, except in like, I think one exceptional case that I'm actually going to bring up later. You can only have four cards of any single card type in a deck. Distinctly. Right, four, four of it, like with the, with the, a name. Like, yes. Like a name, yes. four names. So, That's a playset. It's so if you have a card a called, yeah, it's called a playset. So if you have a card called like Super Elf, you can only have super four, up to four Super Elves in your deck. Right. Well, I remember one time anti-listener playing with me with his Baneslayer Angels, as they were called. It was his favorite card at the time, powerful card. He, he had a playset. As it turned out, he had more than a playset. Because <laughs> one was out, three were dead, and he flashes his hand by accident. He's got a fifth in there. <laughs> and he's not and he's not playing it because he knows I'll catch that oh he stuffed his deck goodness. with an extra card. Because why would he do that, listener? Well, he's more likely, decks are typically, you know, 40 cards, maybe a bit over. If he has five cards there, a type he really wants, a certain card he really wants, there's a higher percentage chance he'll draw it. Right. So that's why he did that. Um, Also anti-listener, when you start the game, you shuffle your deck. You take a look at your seven cards. You you draw a hand of seven. And if you don't like it, you can shuffle them back in and draw one less card. That's called mulliganing. And if you don't like that, you can do it again, draw five cards instead. There's a lot of different types of mulligans too. Apparently. Yeah. And you, there's side rules. You, yeah. you can do like, okay, well, everyone gets a free mulligan right, or something right, like right. that. 
But anti-listener, he would always do this. He'd draw a hand and then start just flipping the top of his deck Nuts. to look at his next yeah. five cards to see if he had good cards coming. Any mana coming up or whatever. I'm like, you're not allowed to do That's that. That's not how it works. Good sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not how the game is played. Excuse me. No, no. I, I, I don't believe you can do that. <laughs> no. And then I remember one time playing with him. This, this is my last memory with him was uh, he's playing and all of a sudden he draws a card. It has in like pencil scribble a chroma angel of oh, wrath. It's got like a proxy. Which is a proxy, which, which, which by the way, are not typically allowed in this game, but he just did it. And he's right. like, hey, what? Like, what do you mean, what? Yeah, right. Like, you have to play real cards. Well, and I do. mean, proxies are certainly a valid thing to do. When you own you the gotta card. You got to, well, I would. He didn't own the card. Well, I know, I know. But like, you, if you both agreed that, hey, let's, we can. Play proxies. Okay, yeah. That kind of thing. Um, that kind of actually lends into one of the last things we'll talk about is maybe advice on new right. players and stuff yes. too. But yeah, that's that's super funny. But actually the 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 not only thing is a good point because a lot of people they proxy some of their more expensive cards that mm-hmm. they do own, but they don't want to sleeve or play with to get shuffled or, or right. used to preserve the value of them. That yeah, that's often I think probably one of the most oftentimes people proxy, right? Yeah. And, or and people I, agree to let someone else proxy. And I do respect that. And I would have let him proxy that. Um, but I mean, it was a case basically where he wanted to make some yeah, super deck. Of course. Of um, course. Actually, to his defense, after I put the pressure to him about that particular card, he ended up getting an Chroma Angel of Wrath to put oh. in that deck. So <laughs> I faced it again. That's funny. I have a morbid worse memory. I, I hate to kill the mood, but. I was actually playing Magic, uh, TV off, nothing with, with my friend um, who I first played it with when uh, I heard uh, the local gas station attendant die, oh, get dragged by the car, shit. which is a famous local story. His name was Grant. Uh, this was like, I don't know, 15 years ago now, I think. Wow. It was crazy. That is insane to think it was that long and, ago. Uh, but yeah, because I was playing Magic, I wasn't listening. There was no sound of TV on. It was just the other guy. It was 1230 at night, and so I could hear... His, his terrible scream. So that's Ugh. actually my worst magic. That is so terrible. That makes me memory. Sure. That was such a was terrible, a terrible fucking thing terrible to happen to that guy. And how the kid mostly got off and who didn't. Oh, it's well, I mean, that's terrible. that's also why gas stations are locked after a certain yeah. time now. And yeah, uh, the I was there when they unveiled the petition to make it so that gas stations had to have two attendants or be locked. Right. I was actually the second signature next to the owner of that association. Wow. Yes. It's a good law. It is a good law. Yeah. Even if, so if I'm ever annoyed because it's late at night. And you have the time through the window. And trying, to, the... trying to lose weight by getting a whole bag of cheese <laughs> yeah, down right. in 15 minutes. Yeah, and I have to wait at that window. <laughs> I don't get mad. Right, exactly. But what do you think, uh, Leland, there? What, what is the appeal of this game, like, 27 years on? Um, for me, it is, like, the deck building. Right. I mean... Me too. That's, like, I... Not... It's funny, like, it's a collectible card game. Like, the model is meant to make you want to buy and open. Like, that's the point of right. it. But that never... That's not... That hasn't been the thrill for me for a long time with this game. Right. There was a point where it was when I was new, newish into it or newer back into it in one of my cycles because mm. I we used to have a, a place called the Collector's Den in one of the smaller local malls around here. And they would always have a Friday night magic 
And I would go, or maybe it was like every two weeks. And I would go to it qu- quite regularly. And I, you know, would always, you know, get like a 20 or whatever. So I could get a little Caesars crazy bread in the, in the you know, nice. in the mall. And there was more than one occasion where it was like, well, I can get a pack and some crazy bread or I can get two packs of cards. <laughs> and I would be choosing to get two packs of cards. And I remember, I remember the specific time frame too on the specific sets there. It was during the onslaught. Block, okay. Yeah. Where there was a lot of dragons. There were <laughs> Darby dragons. Darby dragons. So I remember that. <laughs> that's uh, just a, a cool memory, and I re- I remember the the build of that dragon deck that I had at the time too, and it had again it had a lot of the multicolored legendary dragons. Because that's another thing. I love legendary things. Yes, you in did. this game. Yes, you did. And legendary means you can you can you can still put a playset of them into your deck, but you can only ever have one of them on the battlefield on your side at a time. Yes. So you can't have two legends out at the same time because they're legendary. It's kind of the thing. They're right? usually very powerful. Right. Though, not to start another arms race, but I have bought the odd the I have bought the odd vintage. In the past little bit. <laughs> oh. And I did uh, I did invest. They were like 10 bucks each. I bought some uh, Mirror Gallery cards. I think three. And Mirror Gallery lets you play the legend rule doesn't apply. Oh. So I figured I'd pl- make a deck with it because then you could also put out multiple legends. Oh, because it because it's global. Table. Whoa. So that would be a fun game to play. That's interesting. But, but the thing is, now we're getting into deck building a little bit here. Right. Off of the what is the longevity of this game, but I think everything we're talking about kind of speaks to the longevity of it and the yes. and the thrill of it. Yes, quite honestly, that though, like for you to drop that and me not know it's in your deck, like that's some that is something you build your deck around, right? Cause right. Because no, oh, sure. when I play Legends, I don't put play sets of Legends unless the deck right. is built around a specific card. I usually put two copies of a Legend in because. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'm more likely to draw it than if there's only one of them in there. But if I put three or four, yeah, I'm more likely to see it. But I'm also more likely to get into a dead draw. Because right. if it's played, it's in my hand. That's a useless card. That's that's completely fair. Right. That's and and, that, and that's like that's part of what is thrilling about deck building for me, right? Like, yes. Because you, you can get into like these these minutia of the of like the draw ratios like you you can be really into that and it's totally. it really kind of boils down to stat it's stats it really is so you could yeah. be super into that which i'm not into stats but there's also other aspects of like building combos and different card combinations right and how they play off of each other and different win conditions that you can play out and sure. build your deck around T- tutoring cards which let you fetch something specific from your deck which right. is your choice you can burn those so those those are making those, those are generally very powerful cards. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, it's it's good. I, I agree with you completely um, on the card rules. Just quick funny story. Like, I, the chances of this were almost impossible. But you brought up the Onslaught series. Uh, one of those sets, the middle set, was Scourge. Scourge had a card that I pulled in a booster pack that I really liked called Dragon Tyrant. Gigantic dragon, really beastly thing. Well, I lost it. And I, I was really sad that I lost it. So... Really, this should have never worked, but I gave $5 to my sister because she had swimming lessons, which was like nearby that mall. And I said, get mom on the way back to get you to go to Collector's Den. Buy me a pack from this series so I can replace this dragon. And sure enough, she buys me Ah. one pack from that series. I rip open the booster and there's a dragon tire. Wow. Which is a rare card. You only get one rare in each uh, 
each booster. But like, I, I thought like just I th- I must have thought this like a couple weeks later like that should not have happened. That's the crazy. odds were very That's much insane. against me replacing yeah. that day, which nuts. I then found like in my mom's minivan between the seats. Oh, that's and it was funny. in good shape. So I so okay. now I have two. Wow, um, that's crazy. That is that is pretty crazy. But okay, so okay, but why does deck building appeal to us, and why is there this, this longevity? Well, it's because Magic, of course, like any game, has its basic rules. You know what you can and can't do, but most of the rules are on the cards. Mm. That what we what we're calling mechanics. What you've heard us use a few times, right? So there's tons of mechanics. Shit, there are so there. many now, but. You know, like in a, a simple one would be like something like when this card comes into play, put a plus one attack, plus one defense token on another card that you own. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, if you could conceivably say find four play sets of cards that do that, that put tokens on each other creature, suddenly you can build an entire deck about quickly building up creatures right. with free, huge attack and defense. Right. For an example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, another mechanic, uh, you know, there's a sacrifice mechanic. So, you know, you can choose to kill something of yours. And it usually does something small that's beneficial. But you can attach various cards or spells to whatever is sacrificing. And maybe that card says, well, if you sacrifice a card, search your deck for any creature card and put it into play. Right. Well, suddenly you can search your creature your deck for like a gigantic creature card right. with like 10 plus attack and right. defense with but two cards you've created some tutor for some exactly threat to your opponent yeah absolutely. so so that's the kind of way of yeah of doing it yeah, and absolutely. and those mechanics are inspiring i think they are i mean they're inspiring enough for the creators at wizards to to make entire blocks around yeah. those mechanics right like every uh, and, you know, a block has a number of sets in it, which is their releases. And generally, a, a set and a block will be sent, will have a main mechanic or possibly like three or four of them in which the cards do and they synergize with each other and against each other and that kind of thing. Do you have a favorite block? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't know, because like after like the Onslaught Scourge stuff, like the paying attention to the different sets became so sporadic for me especially now the way in which we procure cards through ebay literally it's like almost all the secondary market exactly it's completely secondary market for me i don't remember the last time i bought a booster pack i think whatever the last time we did a draft was yeah so no i don't i just don't pay attention to it anymore Um, right because there's always like the type of cards in which i'm drawn to and not necessarily those don't necessarily belong to a specific set or uh, or or can only be found in a specific set right there's a lot of persisting elements in some of the card design which which bounce from set to set right and well and for you it's completely inefficient and in most cases for me i mean a lot of the cards you have you know that you purposefully buy in the secondary market aren't actually that expensive yeah. So you don't need to buy a bunch of boosters from that set hoping to pull a couple of those. You know, just even if you're dropping eight bucks on a, you know, decent play set of a, a rare creature, you're going to build a deck around. That's fine. Absolutely. That's fine. We're used to that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, we so, are. But that's not really how you could get into it. No. No. Because we're we can do that because we have a base set 
like a base collection. Yes. In which we already have the other components that could potentially go with the, that set. Exactly. When you're building a true deck from scratch, from scratch, That's scratch, then it's getting pricey. Yeah. I don't know how. So, okay. So the, the latest iteration of my collection, how I got into it, it was actually through eBay, but I found a, there was a sale for basically a bulk bunch of like commons and uncommons so i'm like okay sure it was cheap i think i got like literally like two box two shoe boxes worth of like crappy you know quote-unquote crappy cards so i at least had something to fill in some of these decks but I- i've spent a lot of money on my latest collection <laughs> because it's all it is it it was i did build this current collection piecemeal like that from ebay so it's, it's pricey yeah yeah, it's really pricey. And it's interesting to see how cards go up and down in price. There yeah. were some I, I bought that were pennies, and someone figured out how to do something amazing with it at the tournament level, and next thing you know, the place that's like, you know, 40 bucks or something. Yeah, it's that nuts. It's crazy how the secondary market goes. Um, well, you kind of touched on some stuff for like, um, well, like strategies that you use and that we like. Um, so, you know, what I like to do, we'll, we'll talk strategies you know, a little bit more. We'll get into our favorite cards and we'll give listener if he's he or she is intrigued the some advice on on how to start. Um but like like you, you mentioned your your legend deck. You're a big fan of tribal as well. Yeah, I'll tribal yeah. anything. Tribal's great. Tribal's an e- tribal's an easy deck build too, right? Yeah. It, it's on uh, or spoilers. Surface level easy. Yeah. There are certainly intricacies. There's lots of intricacies to any building any type of deck, but like tribal is a really great place to start building your first deck, I think. Totally, because that one now there are so many. You could literally look at a creature list and see a type of creature and be like, "All right, I want to make a deer deck or a bear yes. deck." You can make a bear deck now. Oh, so a really easy. great bear deck with one of the a recent legendary bear. Like if you made a mono green bear deck, it would be a pretty cool. Throw out some bears, make them big, and let them fight. Yeah. <laughs> like, Which sounds awesome. It's that's like, really cool. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one of the last decks I tried to put together. It wasn't competitive, but I'll put it together and fight you soon with it. was like elk. Yeah. It was like so specific. It's like, you know, well, we don't have, you know, caribou. <laughs> we, have, we have to have elk. The as, elk are coming. And I just... There's a bunch of elk. There was enough elk I could fill a whole deck. deck with them. <laughs> and um, part of these, part of the game is something called um, artifacts. They're colorless. You can pay for them with any mana. Well, there's several artifacts out there nowadays, um, which will boost tribal types. Right. Like when they come into play, you say elk, and it right. pumps all elk by plus one plus sure. one. That's really cool. That helps. You know, and you know what? Artifacts are the lifeblood of this game. Yes. Quite honestly, they li- literally. Every deck will use artifacts to round out mana types. Yes. And round out your mana curve, make your creature spells cheaper. Yep. To boost your creatures when there's cast. Like all yeah, artifacts are like the shit in this game. They're really a genius design because enchantments, um, for the most part, are very similar to artifacts. They you you cast them, you play them, they go on your table, they stay there until they're destroyed. But I read, I read this once that Wizards of the Coast, their idea was that artifacts will give you, like enchantments have various colors, and artifacts will give you enchantment powers without color at the cost of being more cost. Oh, interesting. So, okay. you know, it's, 
if you're playing mono green, it's always going to be in your benefit to use mono green land grabbing spells, land fetching spells, yeah. because green is built for that, right. and their cards are going to be cheaper and better for that. Right. But any color can get land fetch via artifacts. It's just going right. to cost a bit more. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that that is really good design. I mean, I there's not a single. I don't think there's a single deck I have that doesn't have an artifact in it. No, like, no. Especially playing three or four or five colors. Again, I I need those artifacts for the color fixing, right? Like when yeah. I need a green mana and I got a mountain, an island, and a swamp on the table. Well, if I have an artifact that helps me, okay, great. I like I need it. <laughs> I need it. I mean, what decks do you have set up right now? Because you took a look through them. Yeah, I have. I have a legend deck. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. I have a, actually a sacrifice deck Ooh. that uh, I've yet to play. Especially one of the last recent, most recent things I built, which is still not very recent. But it was kind of in a, at the tail end of a spurt where we were actually playing because we haven't played in. No, ages. we got to play. I'm already getting fired up to play now. I that I know you have play. a new deck. Yeah, I have. A, I I'm think there was two. Up. I have one that's like um, it's a life gain deck, but. As you gain life, it pumps your creatures. Um, nice. I, I'm sure I have a zombie deck. I have a, a June deck that just, you know, big baddies dealing damage. Like, I just have random decks. I have an evolve deck. I really like the evolve mechanic. Mm. When you evolve is when you play a creature that is larger than a creature already on your board state that has the evolve. It gains a plus one, plus one counter pumps itself right it evolves yeah to that is really bigger. cool it's a cool mechanic i don't think the deck has ever won it's so it feels like it should be more powerful but mm. it's i think it's pretty underwhelming because it also you need to draw the creatures in the proper order too so it's all it's i think it's very draw dependent and i don't right. really have anything in it that flat that cur- smooths that out so that's again my shitty <laughs> deck building <laughs> Right now, I mean, I just I took it apart. I have a... Uh, this sounds bad. Listener, if you get into it, there's weird names like Leland's Miss uh, mentioned June. Um, that stands for like the black, red, green colors. If you're going to play a deck that's black, red, green, it's good. It's called June nowadays. But I had a good deck put together that was just red, green. And it's been so long that I played. It's one of my favorite tribes, but I've forgotten the name of the tribe. But anyways, so I took that apart. Yeah, it's not Bor- Boros is red white. Boros is red white. Golgari's black green. Yeah, but what? Is, but red green. I don't know. Demir yeah, I'm, Demir I'm is black black blue. blue. Yeah, I am blanking on it too. Gruel Gruel. That's there you it. go. <laughs> I knew we'd get there. There we go. Thank you. For that's that. a, yeah. That's a, I like that color combo oh, too. Is so you know what? I love. Is it? I love red blue. Surprisingly, I love red blue. Oh, I don't, there's something about. Those cards together. Like when they make a, a multicolor, a red blue card, it's always so cool and weird. It, it is. I hate it personally. That's why you don't see me like all <laughs> yeah, that's, play that. That's but true. I've seen you and you have the Niv Mizzet dragon. Oh, there's, I have two different Niv Mizzets. Yeah, they're oh, older. They're so good. There's like a third Niv Mizzet too that's pretty decent. But if you get them both out on the table at the same time, they're pretty oh, cool. Oh, they are yeah. so annoying. They it's, just, they're so mana heavy, though, is the problem. They are. And red and blue. Does, is not known for mana ramp. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, listener, because so the game has five colors, but I think they introduced a weird, it's like a color, but it's called colorless now. Yeah. Um. Anyways, but we'll, we'll forget about that for the time being. But you've got red, which is fire. And so they are like quick attack, burn things directly, do direct damage, 
um, with like fire spells and things like that. Uh, you've got green, which is like earth, animals, nature. They're very good at destroying artifacts and enchantments because they like purity of nature, but then also big creatures, yeah, big yeah, honking yeah. creatures. Big bodies. You've got blue, which is all about trickiness. They have a lot of flying creatures, weak, weak creatures in yeah. combat, but they're about tricks and flying and countering Except spells. for the best card ever, the Visidrix. Oh, the Visitors. <laughs> the random strong bunny. Seven mana six. Yeah, what a shit card. That's hilarious. I know why that card was invented. I really do. Because that was early ish. That was seven. Seven. Yeah, that was seven. They're, they were trying to give Blue a heavy Something. hitting option, a finisher. That's what they're trying to do. That still doesn't make it. So you're going to give them a seven drop to tap out. To pair with their little 1-1 one, one flyers that maybe they have two of? I know, it doesn't make So they can't sense. then play their reactionary spells because they're tapped out? Like... They basically, they had the thought I had just now and stopped when they should have continued <laughs> down the road you had. Right. Maybe yeah. there's just one guy making them and he needed the second Well, hit. maybe they were literally like, hey, we have 250 cards. We need a, a 251st and then the set's done. Okay, let's make this piece of shit. Yeah. It's, uh, Maybe they just needed to fill the set. I don't know. Drix, as they call them. Drix. Yeah, and then so just to finish this, uh, you've got white, which is um, primarily smaller creatures, but they, they can stand up and pump each other a little bit often. Uh, a lot of creature tokens are white, like little soldiers and things like that. They're more or less good. They're the color yeah. of order and angels. good. The angels. Angels are their heavy hitters. Yes. Tons of angels in this game. They gain life. They're very good at gaining life. Um, and then finally, you've got black, which is evil. Um, black is power at all costs. They have a lot of things to tutor to find certain cards, draw more cards. But they often have mechanics where they hurt you to give you some of that power. Right, yeah. You, you pay life. You pay, you pay life. You maybe have a card that says you draw two extra cards and lose two life. Right. Something right. like that. And if that's you lose all your life, that's how you, that's one of the win conditions. Like you can reduce your opponent to zero life. So. Right. So there, those are the, the five. Yeah. So you, so that's, and that's why the multicolor draws to me because they, they take them out of those stereotypical. Yes. Play procedures. And they tweak them a little bit. They add a little bit of both, depending on the colors that they are right, that kind of stuff. And I think it, it's interesting design to me, too. I really like the creativity which some of these multicolor cards have. Yes. Yeah, and some of the weird stuff that they do. Well, because it's a fusion now of two stereotypes to make a non-stereotype. Right, exactly. Yeah, totally. You, know, uh, you, you look at Niv-Mizzet, who I mentioned, the legendary Dre, and I mean... He does cool stuff as far as his mechanics go, but he's also a big honking yeah, dragon. He's a five five flyer. Blue doesn't have any of those, right? But yeah. that's that's his red showing exactly because he's still a fucking dragon. He's still a fucking dragon. But he's just a genius. He's just a Draco genius. He's a, he's a, he's a Draco genius. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And there's so many. So I love multicolored cards too. My favorite sets are the Ravnica and the Return to Ravnica. Okay, yeah, yeah. A lot of people say that those are popular. Right. What they gave me was I played a lot of two colors anyways, again, to round things out. Because one color alone, I'll, I'll do that, but you have a huge deficiency then. Right. But Ravnica formalized that. It gave you legends that are of two colors. It gave you lots of good commons and uncommons that are of two colors. It really lets you you go there. Mm -hmm. um, so that was cool. Yeah, that's you know what? 
thinking like thinking about and reminiscing about this game and our experiences like well obviously we're we're talking about i mean basically we're talking about standard play there's so many different types of play and it's not standard as in the rules of what you can build your deck standard because that's a whole different thing but like it's not commander it's not like elder dragon highland it's not brawl it's so it's like i mean obviously for the two of us it's one-on-one i prefer multiplayer personally but when you're playing one-on-one magic is not the type of game that you often you more often than not get a, a a really great back and forth like no magic is not a tennis match magic magic is really a knockout punch most of the time most of the time you're correct and it's yeah. it's rare and notable when you have a good game where you're neck and neck you, Abs- yes you, you always comment on it yes you do because it's unfortunately rare and i'm with you about multiplayer um that's what i like about multiplayer is um multiplayer listener you basically just play normal magic but uh, you, there's certain variations, but for the most part, you can just attack who's left or right as you. Right. And then you basically can make a circle as big as you want. And then as you kill people to your left and right, the circle becomes smaller until it's finally two people facing off. But but when you're three plus, that has the benefit of whoever starts off strongest, they'll naturally get focused on, which lets the other players catch up yeah. if they start slow. Right. And that... that game mentality that inevitably happens in these multiplayer games is how i learned to build my decks Mm. Um, because when i was first playing it was always multiplayer oh so and that's just kept it just persists the way like the mindset i have when i sit down to build a deck it's always it's all there's always a ramp a slow build in the decks i when i'm playing like things that cost six to ten mana to cost you can only play one land a turn, so that's at least six to ten turns before I can, am even capable, without any additional artifacts and all this stuff, to be able to cast them. So I always, right. like, that's, I think, where my core deck building tendencies develop from. Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I have a lot of good memories for, uh, for Magic Multiplayer. I think one of my birthdays, I got all the people that I invited. We did what was called an Emperor. So like, mm, yeah, yeah, you had two facing off players, but then to their left and right were knights that were also players that one of them had to be killed first before you could directly attack right. the emperor. Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun. That's a cool game format too. Yeah, I like that. Well, I guess maybe we should move into our top five. Okay. So why don't you lead us off with your? Do you have the mortar from one to five? Um, well, I have about 10 cards here, so oh, I'm going so to have some honorable some... mentions. <laughs> there will be some honorable mentions. Okay, I will start. I will say of the ones I have here, my favorite is Infernal Genesis. Of all? I love Infernal Genesis. I love the randomness <sighs> of Infernal Genesis. Well, what I was going to say is read the card and what it does. Okay, so. sure. So Infernal Genesis is a black enchantment. Um, it costs a total of six mana to play. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, which is basically their turn, you put the top card of your library, which is, of course, your deck, into your discard pile. And then you look at the cost of that card, and that's how many 1-1 black minion tokens you get. And I love that. I love the randomness. You might get something good. You might discard a land and get nothing. And this card bites me in the ass every fucking time. Every time I play this, one, it's very expensive to play. 
Then Moby gets the benefit of it. He gets like six of these little one ones. Yeah. And then he just destroys my Genesis. And then I don't get it. <laughs> that is literally how it's happened for like 15 years. And I just love it. I don't know. I love it. That's I love crazy. it. Well, starting with my absolute favorite, it was actually the first good rare I ever pulled in a booster I bought um, the day that I bought my first starter set, which, you know, nostalgia obviously has a role to play. Um, so it's Pristine Angel. Uh, it's a white angel that has four attack, four defense. It's flying, costs a total of six mana. But you got to remember, I was just starting out here. The card has a mechanic on it where it's as long as it's not tapped, meaning you haven't attacked with it. Typically is how something gets tapped. You you attack and then it goes sideways. As long as it's not tapped, it has protection from all colors and artifacts. That's crazy. And what protection means is what it sounds like. No spell, like direct spell, like a fireball or anything like that can touch it. No artifact can touch it. It also can't be blocked by a creature of that color. Right. So Pristine Angel becomes vulnerable when it taps, but it also has a mechanic that when you play a spell, then you can untap Pristine Angel. And Magic has a weird mechanic where whatever you do stacks. So... Think of an action like walk, run, jump, skip, and think of that on cards, and you start making a stack together. Well, how magic works is the very last one placed is actually the first one to resolve. Right. And so what could happen is you, I attack with this angel. Uh, Leland tries to kill it. He's got something. There. He goes, wow, finally I've got the chance to use this insanely powerful spell card to kill this angel. It's been bo- bothering me. But then... In response to that, I can play what's called an instant spell that you can play any time as long as I have the mana for it. That actually stacks on top of Leland's use of that insane, crazy kill spell. Right. And then meaning my angel actually untaps. Right. Then his fireball yeah, hits, the but the angel is protected. Because right. your angel's trigger then goes on the very top of the stack. And then you resolve top to exactly, yeah. and so you know the card is the card is always good. But when I first got that card, it was godlike. I love angels, yeah. and it was just so powerful. It's so a good damn card. All right, my next one, Captain Sisse. Captain Sisse. Oh, she is so great. Sisse. Multi. She's a multi multicolored legend. She is a green white, four total converted mana cost, a two two creature. All she does is you, you tap her, you activate her, so you turn her sideways. And you search your deck for a legend or legendary card and put it into your hand. Just Man. a legend fetch. Best yeah. card. It is, honestly, it's so good. It's a for really great deck, card. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's not even that expensive for four mana. For no, she's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's kind of susceptible to dying, though. But right. As are most of your decks. Well, yes. That's <laughs> I'm true. just kidding. I'm being a bastard. But I also really like her because I re- I had... Again, back in this weird time frame, kind of before Onslaught and stuff, I was getting what they had fat packs and they came with Ooh. a novel, a Magic the Gathering novel. Oh. In addition to a booster. So it was like this, this, you know, I think it was like 30 bucks or something. You get a couple boosters and, a, and the book. Nice. And it was always, you know, a book for the, the set. And in that, in this particular set, she, like Captain Sissy is a character on the Weatherlight, which is a, a, sh- a flying ship. In one of these books that I had. So, like, I knew her too, right? Like, because I was yeah. super into reading these. I have eight or nine of these novels from varying sets still. And they're not well written. Okay. I read. I went back and I read 
the very first couple, like the Urza's, the the Brothers War and stuff with Urza and Mishra, which are, you know, very, two very well-known brothers in the canon of Magic the Gathering that first found these, these power stones and they had this struggle with each other and this falling and blah, blah, blah. All this history, right, and, and the lore of magic, of which there is so much of it that oh, yeah. you couldn't possibly know all of it. I, I don't. I would be dumbfounded to meet somebody that could explain to me thirty years of this lore. Oh man! But I went back and read them, and they're very poorly written. Oh, they're no. so bad because everyone is a different author, right? And I'm sure at the time it was like finding anybody that could write it, <laughs> like. <laughs> Have you attended a single class of yeah. journalism you or something? Nice. English as the first language. Hey, okay. <laughs> Here you go. Right. Hell, do you speak English as a fourth language? Hey, <laughs> here you go. And Urza went to market. <laughs> he makes spell in the uh, giant boom. Yeah, they're. Um, oh, I don't know. So, so like I know, like I know, like I knew the character and nostalgia, right? Hell, like, yeah. hell that card of Captain Sissy might. Might be better written in the book. Yeah, right. <laughs> the flavor text. I hate to say. Her flavor text is her leadership forged the Weatherlight's finest crew, and oh, could not be truer. Could not be truer. Well, she forges your crew that runs your deck. Yeah, damn right she does. Um, my second is probably what I consider the single most utilitarian card I have. It's only a common. It's only a 1-1. One, one. It costs a total of two mana, one green, one colorless, meaning you can spend any. When I, I use colorless in this context, it means you can spend mana of any color that you have, not the new colorless mana type. That's so confusing. It's called Sakura Tribe Elder. And I know oh, you've really? seen it before. I no love that snake card. Shaman. Yeah, so it's a common. You can buy the card for like a nickel. But what it does is you can sacrifice it, which you can do at any time. It doesn't cost you anything. You can just say sacrifice. You kill it, but then you get to look for your deck for any basic land card. So not some fancy, smancy, rare land. Just a land of any of the five colors. And you put it into play tapped. So you can't play it that turn, but you can play it next turn. Well, most of the land fetching spells in the game, spell cards, and what I mean by that is spell cards is one-time use. You play it, it gets discarded. Most of the one-time spell cards to search for basic lands cost about two mana. Right, two and to three. Usually. Two to three. But what Secure Tribe Elder gives you is versatility. You can put it out right away. Say you get it, you know, you get it out on turn two and your opponent's having resource issues, mana issues, and you don't. Start swinging away. Nibble away some of his health. Absolutely. Try to get 2-3 health. Yeah. The moment he puts something bigger, stop attacking. And when he attacks you, you can block him. And as long as he doesn't have what's called the trample mechanic, a 1-1 one, one creature could block a 12-12. Right. As long as it doesn't have trample. Now, it would die. But again, every action in this game, the last action done is the first, first. to be resolved. So if I, I can block a creature, and that creature will be blocked, it will not do any damage to me for the remainder of that combat round, but my Secure Tribe Elder that's going to die anyways can then sacrifice itself, I still get the land, the damage is still blocked, it's just extremely utilitarian. So I wanted one card there that was utility. Yeah, no, that's a good pick, because it's also, again, good deck building. Like utility cards like that. You want a card that has multiple uses if you can do it. Yes. Right. That's, that's yes. what makes a great deck. Absolutely. 
So we have three more to pick, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, um, I'll let you do your honorable mentions after. Well, okay. Um, then I'm I'm going to cheat and put two entries into okay. this, but they're both legendary dragons. All right. One of which is, of course, the OG Nickel Bolas. Oh, Nickel Bolas, the wonderful library book reading, <laughs> book reading, and this very Wizardous. old artwork from from I don't even know what this symbol is. Arabian, not Arabian Nights, but before Arabian Nights. And that's old. Oh, that is. But old. he's just one of them beefy, beefy ass three color dragons. Spends like eight mana of three different colors, <laughs> seven seven attack, defense, flying, and to keep him out there, you gotta keep paying mana every turn to to keep him out there. Otherwise, you sacrifice him. Is that all he does? Well, when he damages an opponent, that opponent discards their entire hand. That's pretty good, listener. Actually, that's really good if you fuck up someone's hand completely. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, this is again one of the one of one of the original five Elder Dragons, which is where EDH or Commander, which I kind of talked about a little bit, Druk takes their name from, and uh, like their seven power as is where the one of the win conditions of that format is rooted in because in that format you have what's called a commander and it it goes into this this separate command zone and it's basically in which you build your deck around but you always have access to it so it's not it's never in your deck and you don't ever have to draw it you can always cast it from this command zone but then as it dies it's more expensive to cast them and you know all these other rules but a win condition for that format is if you take 21 points of commander damage you're out Right. So that's three hits from an Elder Dragon. Ooh, that's good. That's where that 21 number comes from. Gotcha. Which is which is interesting. But it also lends to now kind of this this uh, trend of having in a in a in a, a given block a set of five Elder Dragons. And in a later block, I think this is um Vision maybe. Ooh. But Rith the Awakener. Mm. Just again, three colored, six to cast, a 6/6 six, six flyer. When you dam when it deals damage, you can pay some mana and you get a bunch of one one tokens. Yeah. Equal to the damage. It's just this one again is nostalgia because in that that dragon deck that I said I could picture and rebuild, like she was in it. And she oh, was yeah. a, she was a mainstay in it. She's still a very powerful card. And you almost brought it up like flippantly, like, you know, six six creates tokens. That's that's a big deal. And tokens in this case are, um, I mean, they can have different attack and, and defense, but we're not meaning tokens as we were speaking about earlier, where you put a, a counter, usually represented by, uh, we will use like a die to represent a permanent plus one, plus one to attack or, or defense. Yeah, yeah, defense. Counter in this case is like little mini creatures that are represented right. by a token and they yeah. stay out there. Yeah, and they can, and they can attack. And attack. They can be buffed. Yeah. They can be buffed. They can so, have enchantments put so on. You can. can it's kind huge. of inter- it's an interesting card because it allows you to go wide, as they say, meaning lots of creatures to overwhelm your opponent's defenses. Because, like Moby said, a one-one can block a six-six without trample, and right. you just lose the one-one, but you still don't take the chunk of that damage. Right. Um, obviously, she's a dragon. She flies, so bonus flyers are notoriously difficult to get around for, especially some colors. But, like, she's also, she plays into both, like, the wide, small, and then the singular, large. Because she is singular and large. Exactly. So it's a very interesting design. I I remember you playing her against me many times. And primarily how you'd use her, actually, which was, you know, tormenting, is you'd build your tokens. And you would use those tokens. You'd hold them back to block my creatures if I dared attack. And then you would 
at that time usually have maybe two elder dragons and you would just swing for the fence yeah, and bust yeah, me down as long as they stay alive a couple turns as long as they stay alive bust me down even if they didn't when i'm i'm using kill spells now and i got to kill little guys here and there sure that's really hard to do yeah. that becomes more annoying yeah it reduces well. the power of those kill spells right yeah all right no that's that's a really good pick on um, my third pick here is what i believe is my most powerful card I've only, I believe, ever played against you once for like a couple games because I think it's so game-breakingly powerful that to play against you often, you would honestly stop playing with me. <laughs> so the card is called Phyrexian Obliterator. Oh, it is fuck. so cool looking and such a cool name. It's just, this card is just oozes cool. It's a 5-5, five, five, so 5 attack, 5 defense. So that's, that's outstanding already. Costs 4 black. You can't spend any other mana color on it. It has to be four black mana. That's still a four, five five for four mana total is really That's good. That's a good exchange. It has trample, which means if, say, it's five five, Leland blocks it with one of his little one one tokens, trample overcomes that. Yeah. What, hap- what it means is the first damage I do to Leland's little creature kills it, but then in that same combat round, the remaining four damage spills over yeah, I take the, I would and, take the and hurts rule. him directly. So that block doesn't really help him. But the worst of Phyrexian Obliterator is its mechanic. Whenever a source's controller deals damage to Phyrexian Obliterator, that source's controller sacrifices that many permanents. That's brutal. That is brutal. So a permanent is any card that's staying on the game field. Any persistent So permanent. persistent card. So so just say Leland wants to kill it because it's so strong. He blocks it with something that's 5-5 five, five as well. He then, he kills my creature, but he then has to sacrifice five, five cards that he owns <laughs> that are stuck out that's there. could be artifacts, crippling. enchantments. Lands, lands other creatures if i if, oh, I, that, had, if I had six rift tokens oh not, then you could not do too it. bad See, but not too bad but, <laughs> but that's the type of card where the only answer for it is a removal spell yes which i hate i hate right. i do i you dislike removal spells you only started using them in the last few years we've i've had played. to because because you need to have removal spells you have to have pinpoint removal right you can't build a deck without it because otherwise you will just lose games and then they yeah. become they don't become fun you don't get a chance at getting a tennis one of those rare back and forth so you just have to do it i'm gonna bring i mean he's too cool to to keep caged up forever plus you know the card keeps going way up in value as time oh, goes does on it? i bought my playset for 20 bucks now each is worth 25 that's fucking op design though it is though there's zero downside it's four mana to drop yeah there's you don't even have to be neither of the players playing with ramp what other card could i have possibly play at having four lands to be able to kind of match it like if i'm running mono black nothing i mean yeah you know what i i could theoretically play play a dark ritual on turn two it listener it's a, a card that will give me three temporary mana i have to use it right away for the cost of one yeah so what i can essentially do is you're allowed to play one base land a turn turn one i play a swamp which is the black land turn two i play a second swamp i then play i then play the dark ritual which gives me three Three mana plus i have my first land which gives me the fourth by turn three i'm attacking him with that and if you play the game you're not going to be set up by turn three that thing is just going to 
annihilate. I might have, a, again, I would have to have a removal. You and removal spells well are generally two to four-ish mana, depending on what other effects you might get from them, depending on their rarity, you know, etc., etc. But, okay, in comparison to Obliterator and Sisse, turn four Obliterator, turn four Sisse, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's not that's a bad matchup for Sisse. <laughs> that's a very bad matchup. I pretty much see Sissy as like, you shall not pass. <laughs> yeah. But then the Phyrexian Obliterator really passed. Well, lit- okay, literally it would be, I drop Sissy, you drop Obliterator, uh, depending on the order, right? Okay, say I went, say you went first, you drop Obliterator, I go, okay, Sissy, you hit me, I take it because I want Sissy to live and I want right. to use her at least once. I use it, and then your next turn you attack me again with it. Okay, maybe I'll block with Sissé and negate some damage, but probably not. So yeah. then I'm down half my life total yeah. in two turns because I don't have an answer to it. Like, and and by blocking with Sissé, you lose her. You sacrifice two other cards out yeah, on your exactly. team. Probably lands or, or an artifact you could really use. Brutal. It's the most powerful card I own out of the thousands and thousands of dollars I spent on the game. And yes, it's probably like three grand. Yeah, but, I can see that. Oh, you picked a card. Number four. Speaking of kill, this is my favorite kill spell, Lavalanche. Oh, I Lavalanche. fucking love this card. Again, it's multicolored. It's June, so it takes a, a black, red, and a green. But for the colorless, it's got a little X, which means I can pay as much as I can pay. I can choose what I want to pay. And it deals X damage to target player and each creature he or she controls. It's just a huge, yeah. it's literally... An avalanche of lava. <laughs> I love this yeah. card. I just fucking love this card. It's a great card. It's it's a finisher. Whenever you don't have to choose between who you're going to hurt. Yeah. Um, and you're doing that to the opponent and it's such a powerful card. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't have any drawback for you. What do I do? Your late game, say you use seven on that. You're probably, my life da- is down a bit. You're probably taking out a third of my life. You're knocking out most of my big creatures. Yeah. With one card. Yeah. You and you know what I think when you've used it in the past on me, you've ended the game sometimes because suddenly you're clear to attack. Right. And when you're playing that card late game, very easy for you to have enough cards, enough decent creatures to just blow me out of the water. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is a late game. It's not very you'd think it would be more versatile than it is too, because it is really late game because I need at least I need to to do that seven damage to you and all your creatures, I would need ten mana. Right. So that's definitely a late game. But June has green, and green is good at ramping mana. So I would have that in that deck, right? So I would have some ramp. So I could possibly late game have upwards of a dozen or more and be able to really just... But you would think, okay, well, maybe even mid-game, if I'm sitting on six or seven mana, that's three or four damage I could do to your entire board. Sure, maybe. But that's still a lot of mana just for... It right. is, but I mean, I've run to- token decks are popular in general. So if I was right. running a token based deck, like white tokens, get a bunch of soldiers that are two two out there, and that's yeah. most of what I have. Suddenly, it becomes way more tempting. To that's play true. That. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Exactly. So no, that's that's a good card. That's a good pull. My next card is the card that actually in my main binder is the first card there that I see, and I see literally pages of them, and they always give me a smile. This card has one of the most special mechanics in the entire game. It is called Relentless Rats. And they're <laughs> so much fun. 
So they're rats. It's a swarm of rats. They cost three mana total, two of the mana being black. Very simple mechanic. They're two twos, so two attack, two defense. A deck may have any number of relentless rats, and relentless rats gets plus one attack, plus one defense for each other creature <laughs> named relentless rats. So you are allowed to break the game open by putting a bunch of these rats out there, and they like exponentially That's pump each crazy. other. That's such a cool design too. It's and it's not overpowered though. It takes time, especially you have to run usually, you know, mono black. It takes time yeah. to get enough rats out there where they're, you know, five or six attack and defense yeah. and are really brutal. I mean, that's, you know, that's... If well, see, the question is, too, is that lends to a lot of interesting deck building decisions. Because how many do you put in? How many slots do you have that aren't for other utility spells? But how, how, perfect- many, do you, how many do you put in where you're not losing utility, but... If you put in fewer than that, then the effectiveness. Okay, of them so are so here's what I usually do. I usually run with twenty. Okay, and it's kind of what I was thinking. Off and of the reason I run with twenty is that normally in a tribal deck, and you know what cards I have, I have a number of artifacts that are you know like like I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Place this, name a creature type, a tribe, and it pumps them by plus one plus one. So I consider four of those twenty rats to actually be that in my mind okay I got in you. my mind they are a pump okay. they replace those artifacts so what i do with traditionally um a deck a 40 card deck you know 20 creatures is a good total so now i i figure in my mind i have four creatures left to use well there are some legendary rats that exist that pump other rats uh, there's one called marrow nar that gives all rats fear which makes them very tough to block. Right. You can only block them if you're black or an artifact creature. So suddenly those rats can start getting through. Right. There are other good legendary rats as well, but I'll run four legendary rats plus 20 normal rats. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. See, that's, that's funny that you, like, I would, I probably wouldn't even bother with a chief like that, a, a rat pump uh, chief, because I would just play like, well, one, I would play, in well see i probably wouldn't play infernal genesis because i don't have high mana cost things but i would play things like uh what's that enchantment that um necrotic plague or whatever that or that one that you attach it to a creature and then that player has to sacrifice that creature and then can attach that enchantment to another creature and it just oh. it just keeps going like i would play cards like that like stupid sh- like and black has a lot of those cool dumbass like i would make that deck just the stupidest fucking thing ever well, <laughs> and it wouldn't be competitive but it would be fun as hell to play it already is yeah. it is the stupidest thing as it, ever yeah, it's, it's not so competitive nice. with black they have no mana ramp really so you have to use artifacts that are over costed to get some mana specifically and to, to get that amount of rats out just takes too long you'll you'll never curb stomp someone yeah unless that's they true. have something wrong so that's a deck that you'll probably see soon because I'm really pumped about putting it back. <laughs> That'd again. be awesome. Well, my my last pick is basically it it epitomizes my play, and it's Dragon Roost. Uh, <laughs> I love this. It's the stupidest, most overpowered, priced over not overpowered, overpriced card ever. It's a it's a red enchantment, two red mana and four colorless, so six total cost. All it does it allows you to pay seven mana to put out a five five flying. Red Dragon Token. <laughs> That's simple, it. Simple. Simple. simple so he runs his dragon breeding program. Yeah. And I uh, artificially inseminate the dragon. <laughs> we come full circle. 
This poor dragon. <laughs> I just, it's such a dumb card, and like, you should never play this card. But, you know, if you get stomped by a couple of those tokens, it's... Yeah, again, you know, it's, it's, it's a late game thing. Stop, but, like, you play it with... It. So, what What I love to pair this with is Braid of Fire. A card right. that originally... It was very easy to play incorrectly. But it's a card that has a it's what's called a cumulative upkeep. So, every turn, you have to pay an upkeep cost. And it just continues to get larger and larger and larger and more and more expensive until it's not feasible to keep it out there. This is a very old mechanic. From, from some of the very first sets that does not get printed anymore because it's no. crazy. It's 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 not conducive to the current power levels of most sets that are being designed now. So that's, it doesn't get used anymore. But this cumulative upkeep is at your upkeep, you add a red mana to your mana pool. So you don't pay anything. You get mana. And now the thing with your mana pool is at the beginning of every phase, it empties. Mm-hmm. and so there's tons of different phases throughout but basically you have a main phase in which you play and then you have a combat phase and then a second main phase and then you know you have a draw phase so there's like there's, the upkeep comes before the draw but after the untap phase so you have a limited window to use that mana pool but you can use dragon roost at instant speed so yeah those are two great cards to pair together and usually that's they go into the, a stupid deck i have that has a bunch of other red dragons but <laughs> that's awesome no that you're right that very much is your style and uh yeah yeah no i i don't you know what it's, I, I just like it's it. fun this it's fun real. when it works it's fun um my final pick and there were so many i i mean we could have picked i picked goblin chieftain okay uh so goblin chieftain is a two two goblin obviously costs three total mana two of them being red it has haste meaning it can attack the first turn it's played now most creatures can't unless they have haste it it makes it so the game can't get overwhelming if someone gets to a quick start um if you play a creature you can't attack with it until your next turn you can block with it you just can't attack with it until your next turn haste means you can attack your first turn but Goblin Chieftain also gives other goblins plus one, plus one pumping, plus one attack, plus one defense, and it gives all other goblins haste. That's crazy. So it is. And it's a key part in what I consider my most competitive deck that is not OP. Uh, Goblins, I've had various iterations together for a long time. I've spent a lot of money on goblin cards, and goblin chieftains are always there to allow for quick attack and pumping. Yeah, that's like the epitome of tribal too, right? It is. That's actually why I put the card here. It's the epitome of tribal. We both play a lot of tribal. I yeah. play a lot of tribal. Goblin is my best tribe. Card had to be on the list. Yeah, absolutely. That Goblins and zombies are two of the most flesh out tribes oh, in yeah. RPG as well. Like, oh, zombies are so much fun. So, zombies are great because they come in all different colors too. And like, yeah. I love a Demir zombie. I love a, a black blue zombie deck they've got white zombies now even yeah that's bizarre from like the from egypt, the egypt one. yeah yeah exactly like mummy zombies and mummy stuff like zombies. that crazy. that would be kind of cool putting together a, a black blue white deck Ooh. that's a trio that i rarely build oh no that's one man. of the off colors combination very right? much like, so yeah, yeah. yeah not really synchronous i mean you can make any co- color combination work good sure some are sure. just more opposite yeah you. but i mean the point of making a, the colors is to get three colored cards to be able to play to play them <laughs> well that was, that was a good list yeah that was that was awesome it was good to kind of re- reminisce and go through that uh go through those cards yeah. um so you're leland you get your memory wiped 
Okay. And you listen to this podcast and Moby has just uh, taught you about all these amazing magic things. I should actually say my memory got wiped. How would you suggest for me I get oh, started? Well, first, um, I would be enthralled and raptured and engorged in all genitalia area listening <laughs> to Le- that Leland Seal guy talking about oh, that guy, right. having never heard it before. And, um, yeah, be amazed at just how eloquent he is. And all, right, all, right, <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. I would, in, in this day and age, I would suggest that you play online. Oh, man. That is he. Yeah. Yeah. I think I never that even is, thought of that. I think that is honestly probably one of the easiest ways to get into it now because you have the, you, there's already the built-in community. Yeah. You'll, you'll you'll have people to play with. Um, yes. There are so many Twitch streamers too that play that stream magic as well, magic online. So you oh, could wow. watch any number of them to to, you know, learn how to play, see what other people are building and that kind of stuff. I don't know about price points. I don't really because I, I actually don't play online. I don't play Magic Online, so I don't know how much like buying cards is. But I gotta think it's cheaper, and there are other incentives to get free cards as well. Yes, you get more bang for your buck. I feel like yeah, than physical copies. Yeah. Now, now, are Magic Online? Are you talking like the formal Magic Online, or like the Steam games that come out every few years? Like whatever Magic the Game whatever or... the formal iteration is, right? Okay. Yeah, because. You can do drafts on the formal iteration, yeah. and it's pretty easy to win a couple boosters off those drafts. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. just got to show up. You can win a couple free boosters. What place? Place top three ish, maybe. Yeah, sometimes it's more. Sometimes yeah. you get like a single booster for being like fourth. Oh, there might okay. have only been like six entrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Odds. Yeah, that's really. It's a good. lot of fun, and it teaches you a lot because you'll see how other people are building. Yeah, decks and whatnot. Do you think a, a draft would be a good introductory thing to somebody? Uh, no, but no, I don't think a draft would <laughs> yeah. be. Um, I think it's a different skill set to yes. build a deck for a draft. Yeah. It's it's actually the opposite of what we normally do where we're picking targeted yes, cards to build is. around. It's yeah. you know, I'm shit at drafting through. Yeah, I'm not the greatest. I, I definitely enjoy it a lot. Um, um, I, I do. That's something I would – if I were to go back on Magic Online, I guess the first thing I'd do is a draft. Mm-hmm. But I mean I like building stuff too. Um, but in draft is not my favorite. I would prefer to build. But that that's so good what you said about Magic Online. Um, I think a setup might only be like 20 bucks to get a starter deck. You're going to get your ass whooped by a lot of the community. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know how the matchmaking works either. Well, what they should have, what some of them have, like the Steam game version I used to play, is you can play against the computer on three difficulty levels. Okay. That's the best way to start right, and right, work right. your way up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fantastic. So the the only other the alternative to that for physical wise, I mean, I can only think of maybe researching into a particular set or the current set, whatever it is, and buying like a again, it's a it's a barrier of entry as far as cost goes, but buying a box of boosters. Yeah, I could be completely biased here because this was how I started, and so I fully admit this. But I thought about this question and I looked at what's out there for starters, new and old. And I believe the sweet spot to start is 8th edition. I believe that was the 8th edition. It had five decks, one for each color that were monocolored. Those were inexpensive to buy. They had good themes, all of them, in my opinion. And I looked on eBay and you can buy all five of those sets from 8th edition sealed for like 
50 bucks. Whoa. So 10 bucks each. And they're like full on decks. Wow. And very, yeah. and you know, 10 years old. So I think that's very reasonable if you were to get set up in a physical way, if you had one or two friends that wanted to be into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got five that's, decks there. You can pick your thing. favorite color. And even though there are mechanics and good mechanics on those cards, I think that was one of the last sets. Ninth edition was fine too, maybe, maybe even 10th. But 8th edition was not overly complicated. Right. And so that's why I think it's It wasn't the explosion on. of keywords yet. No. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, and, and Wizards has, has been doing a lot of, putting in a lot of efforts to make the barrier to entry lower for new players too. Like we've talked about um, a recent thing they had called uh, Game Night. And it was, it was literally, it was that. It was a box of five different decks, one of each color, that you could literally bust out grab a color and play with five people if you really wanted to. Yeah. Um, they have pre-assembled commander decks that you can buy and get into. The thing is, those are, I think, good products in curating a collection and making a base for future buys. Right. If you want to get into the secondary market and you want to do some more targeted purchasing and deck building, but it's still not the place. It's not a great place to learn how to play, which I think, like you said, right some of these online applications really is the, the play unless you had somebody that is teaching you how to play mm -hmm. then what else do you do like you even if you buy one of these pre-constructed decks there's no rule book printed in any of these this product format you'd have to use youtube yeah. like in this case if you really had nobody experienced to help you would have to go youtube and i'm sure it's on there like learn to play magic via eighth edition deck sure. or something like that yeah or just learn to play Magic, period. But the, the mechanics are simpler on the 8th edition things. And when it comes to the secondary market, there's a few of these sites on the internet. But you got to find a site that has like all the Magic cards. And what I would recommend is you lock the cards to uh, Mythic Rare or Rare, uh, which you'll always be able to do on all these different sites. Um, and then you maybe lock it to one color to start. And mm. you just run a search. And so you find a good card at a reasonable cost most of these sites will tell you what the average cost on ebay is and you build a deck based around a play set of that right that, that's how it start once you're intermediate once you're getting into okay the secondary i got you market. i got you to build into the top yeah right but uh, and there are plenty of sites too where people post their constructed decks online too like you can find yep. so many user created deck lists too to get an inspiration from and see what cards people like to play and are using I mean, yeah, you'll just see a list of it. Oftentimes, there is a bit of a write-up from the author of the, the deck list. So you have the ability to kind of look at this collection of cards and maybe on your own figure out the interactions of this set of these set of cards. You can maybe then start to learn and see, oh, this keyword goes really well with this and see the some of the more baseline interactions in which a lot of, are, are the staple of a lot of deck builds. What I would not do, listener, is the main popular format for tournaments and stuff like that is standard, is what it's called. And of course, tournament. I would not look for keywords, magic cards, standard, in tournament. Yeah. Uh, Twofold reason for that. Number one, if they're the good cards that are commonly used in standard, which is only the most recent sets, only the most three most recent sets, they're going to be very expensive to buy in the secondary market. But also, tournament decks are not fun right exactly they're they're the big the the knockout 
they're, decks, they're, right? they're knockout decks. They're, they're always based around technicalities. People find a technicality, often that was not even meant to exist, between a few cards in a new set. And they use those cards to sink a quick, cheap win. Right. Because that's a tournament. It's all about winning. That's the only reason you're yeah, playing. In a timely but, fashion. But those decks are not fun. And I think if you were new, you know, listener new to a game, new to Magic, and you think, okay, I got to spend like 200 bucks of cards to get this tournament deck, and you actually start playing with it, I think you're going to be like, this is, this is right. worth it. Especially if you're playing with some of your other friends that are also new and you are walloping them. Yeah. They will not want to continue no. playing. They will not want to play. Man, I don't know how, how many, how do, how do so many people get into this game? I don't, this, like, the, now we're describing it like, uh, thinking about trying to be new and getting to ma- magic, I would not be up. I couldn't do it now, I don't think. I think it comes down to kids, for the most part, or curious people at game stores. With tables set up, they right. go on a Friday night to buy Settlers of Catan. Oh, what are those kids playing? And you take a really? look and that's how the scene really? is planted. I mean, because you always hear how these game shops, they stay in business because of magic. Well... Okay, but I'm just saying someone brand new, I yeah. think that's how they stumble on it. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's... I don't know. Every, but by now, every you regardless of whether or not someone knows how to play, everyone knows what magic. Okay. Everyone in that vein, like, they know the name Magic the Gathering. Right, right. It's the same thing as, like, everyone knows, everyone's heard of Dungeons & Dragons. Whether sure. or not you know or have played or have, have any idea what the game is actually like, like, you know the name of it. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I I don't know. I just could see if someone was there and actually saw it being played, it being attractive, but maybe not. Yeah. Maybe you stumble on it on Steam, you know. Maybe. There's a sale on one of the old Steam games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those are not a bad way of learning. It's older cards, but they'll teach you the basic mechanics and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So. Viva La Magic. Hey! We love it. We both highly recommend it. Yeah, we'll play with you. Well, we'll play with you, listener. And we so, won't we won't curb stomp you too much. I'll, I'll keep the Phyrexian obliterated. Yeah, well, I certainly won't. Don't worry. I'll be just sitting there with my dragon roost, wait until I have seven mana to play a single five five creature. Leland, you're down to two life. <laughs> I will have enough. No, mana they must so roost. They're about to hatch. Roost. God damn it! Push, push. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was another nearly three hour episode after we just said. <laughs> We almost got burnt out for doing that January 1st episode. Gotta stop doing three segments. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll cut down the time. We cut caught us in controversy. So I know. Because of time. You were certainly right that these were going to run long. But yeah, let's sense. wrap up and do some end of the show stuff. Yes. Our website, ttpodcast.com, for all of our show notes and links to our uh, podcast feed and the myriad of written content in which we continuously update and put new <laughs> articles on the website fed by your patreon money yeah fed by the the wonderful patrons uh of which have yet to back at a tier high enough to get an actual shout out unfortunately yeah, yeah sorry about 50 that cents. <laughs> uh we're on instagram we're on facebook join our facebook page uh i'm on twitter at leland steel and that's who i've been and i've been moby take care listener thanks listener Bye-bye. Bye-bye.